Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This week's episode of Wife of the Party has a new friend. Her name is Sally. Sally and I, uh, our, our children went to elementary school together. And um, another mom from our elementary school who listens all the time suggested I have her on as a guest. Marion, thank you for suggesting Sally as a guest. We had an amazing conversation. It was a long conversation because clearly we are both talkers. But she has so much to say and so much to give. She has four sons. She was a single mom. She uh, lost a partner uh, from suicide. We talked about that a lot. She uh, has had many, many different jobs. We talk about all her jobs she's had to sustain her single momhood and raise her kids with. And now at the latest part of her journey, she is a grief counselor. So anybody who is going through some grief, uh, she is a remote grief counselor. So definitely we'll have her her website in our description so you can check her out if you're interested and in, in need some help with that. What a fun, lovely, awesome person. Sally and I knew each other, like I said, from elementary school, but by no means were we friends. So thank you, Marianne, for recommending that we chat. Um, I had a great time talking to her. I hope you have a great time listening to our conversation. Mom's talking about mom stuff. It's pretty great. But I think it was a lot more than that. Thanks for coming back every week. Thank you for all your comments. I really appreciate the feedback, good or bad. I'll take it all. I love it. And uh, if you want to drop me a line, you can go to birdieboardproductions.com and the Wife of the Party tab there. You can send me an email that way. Uh, I read the comments on YouTube. I read the comments on Instagram. I don't get to respond to all of them, but I do read them. So thank you very much for the input. I really like it and I really appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with me and Sally. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. was yeah so the first I wasn't married mm -hmm. but I was but Steve and I've been going we had gone out then we broke up then we got back together I met him doing improv comedy oh fun and it was when I first moved out here and we like it was immediate and we loved we just like loved each other it was great and then he broke up with me out of nowhere. Oh, goodness. And it was kind of like, um, I always like to say, it's kind of like Goodwill Hunting when he breaks up with her and she just like collapses. Yeah, yeah. that was me. I was like, I've never uh -huh. had that happen before. 
It's very dramatic. So I was, so a friend of mine goes, I'm moving out to California. Let's move to the beach. And I'm like, great. So I moved to the beach and I disappeared. I never called him because I never called. Where were you? And we were living, I was at the time I was living up here. And then I moved down to Orange County. She worked for Armani. We had a lot of fun. So then he, he changed his mind. A couple years passed. He changes his mind. He went out with somebody who was a nightmare, mm. like Amber Heard 1.0 kind of oh, yeah, crazy person. So then he goes, well, maybe I shouldn't say Amber, but anyway, and then even though she is, but then um, he finds me, calls my mother and he finds me. Calls and, your mother. Yeah, because he had no phone number for me. Because remember, you lost your phone number. Yeah, if you yeah. moved. Yeah. So he calls my mother and my mother's like, my mother's from Memphis. So okay. I was born in Memphis. Okay. So my mother's like, well, I don't really know if she wants to talk to you. So <laughs> I'll let her know, but I can't guarantee anything, you know. So he was like, okay. And so she let me know. And of course I was curious. So yeah. I called him and then we got back together for, for coffee. And then that was it. Right. It was like, I knew he knew. So we were, we were dating, but. Um, and then I found out, I went to the doctor and I found out that I had a fibroid and I wasn't going to be able to have children. That's oh. what the doctor told me. Wow. So then I was freaking out because I was like, well, you mean I'm, I'm not going to, I can't have children at all. That's all I've ever wanted was children. So I was like, I was devastated. So he was like, don't worry about it. We'll, when we finally marry and everything, we'll figure it all out. Don't worry about it. And I went on a big diet and I stopped drinking coffee and I was vegetarian and I was trying all these things and we went away on a business I had a business thing we went to Vegas so we used to kid call say we were going to name a Memphis <laughs> and so we think and I changed birth control method and the next thing you know I was pregnant how about that so I was happy mm-hmm. but he was a little spooked mm. and so it took him a little bit but then we so then we got married and then I had Jeff. So then I was thinking like, okay, well, we have a kid. That's it. And then sure enough, like 17 months later, I had Matt. Wow. And it was, I can pinpoint like when it happened and how it kind of <laughs> was an accident, but not really. Yeah. But we were married. Yeah, you totally. Know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I, And it's wonderful that you have four kids. That's yeah. wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah. So I've never, ever regretted a second of it like yeah. ever never i i and the see them together they're so tight yeah they're so tight yeah it's beautiful to look at how did you manage all four kids in different ages going different directions did you have help or did you do it by yourself or no i did it pretty much by myself and then and then steve and i did split when um and that's a whole long story but um and he has since passed away. He passed away in 2020. He did? Um, yeah, Sorry. he was diagnosed with Huntington's disease. I don't know what that is. So he had, it's kind of a combination of um, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, and Huntington's. They're Jesus. all very similar. Yeah. And Huntington's is like a little bit of all of them. So it has like the physical aspects of Parkinson's and the cognitive issues of Alzheimer's. And then it's not as fast um as ALS but it's faster than Alzheimer's and Parkinson's so his father had had it and we we knew that but we didn't think that he had it um and at that time they didn't have any tests or anything when we got married Mm -hmm. and he didn't develop symptoms until he was 50. Okay. So he still didn't think he had it even when we split you know but 
when I look back on it, there was a depression element to it mm. that I didn't realize was part of it. Mm. And he was he he went through severe depression mm. and it was really, really hard for him work wise. And it was all these things. And I look back on that and I wish I'd been a little bit more compassionate mm -hmm. about it. I wish I had, I wish I had understood that it was part of the illness, mm -hmm. but he didn't want to get any help at all. No. I mean. God bless his memory, but he just didn't want to get any help. He didn't think he had anything wrong with him. You mean and, with the depression? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So not so he didn't get diagnosed for Huntington's because he didn't. until after we were separated, and yeah, and That's it was hard. and it was hard. So I so we were we were living in Studio City in an apartment, and we moved. To, I moved down to. Um, one of those big apartments we always used to say it was like the Rockford Files. It was like one of those big apartments off a, of, you yeah. know, where it's like the square footage. Everyone would always walk into the apartment and go, "Oh, this isn't bad at all." Yeah, because they would hear apartment and they would think tiny, tiny, but yeah. it was actually bigger. And the the older kids went to, mm, okay. So I'd heard all these great things about. So I was like, okay, we'll go down the. Well, I'll just go down the street because my parents are divorced. I never wanted there to be an issue with the father mm -hmm. and with them not being able to see their father. I wanted it super easy for him to see them. And I wanted to go to therapy and I wanted to work it out. So we just moved down the street. Mm -hmm. So we moved into the that area and that's how we ended up. At Got it. Yeah. And were you like walking distance from him? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Because it was like that was my one thing. But that ended up becoming a complication with the kids because they couldn't understand why it was amicable. Then why can't you just stay together? Yeah. Or why? Why did it happen? Or then when I would say why or he or if he was upset, it, it became complicated. It's so funny. Divorce is like you think you figured it all out and you think you handle it really well. And they'll always come out after and say what you did was. And rightly so. Wasn't good. Yeah, I think divorce <laughs> because is it's very a bad hard. thing. Well, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a separation. Mm -hmm. It's a loss. Right. It, yep. it's something that you have to grieve in a certain yep. way it's absolutely it's the death of a dream absolutely so and uh yeah i'm i'm a product of divorced parents too my parents divorced when i was seven and what they say is true you really do think it's your fault you could see them fighting i saw my parents fighting and still thought it was my fault you know and that there's nothing they could have done or said because kids are so self-focused yep for them to believe differently, you know, right, for a exactly. child to believe differently. It's just you just have to know going in that it's the best thing for the the collective. If the divorce is the best thing for the collective, then you just have to weather that. Because I, I think to live in an environment of, of unhealthiness or unhappiness is as damaging as the divorce and the divorce. And at least everybody can get happy, hopefully. Right. And healthier. Yes. And yeah. then when, and later on they realized they understood it. My, yeah. uh, and, and since then a lot of therapy. Yeah. But um, yeah, they know they realized that it was the right thing in the grant, in the big scheme of things. But at the time, yeah, because we didn't fight in mm. front of them. Mm. So they really didn't understand it. Right. And and I was trying to keep them because my parents did fight. Yeah. It's funny. You do the opposite and then you end up with a whole different, you know, bag of problems. Yeah. That's one of the things of being a parent is that I go back and I look at it and I was a lot. I was very arrogant about a lot of things. Like there's some things about that you think you have it all figured out and then 
you realize, oh, wow, when you see it from their perspective and when they share with you how they saw it, Mm -hmm. you totally get how they saw it. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things I had to like let go. And as and I was pretty much a single mother because Mm -hmm. he kind of checked out. He was never abusive with them. He was never any of those things. He just checked out. Mm. And um, it was it was hard. They'd go spend time with him. He wouldn't do anything, do much, you know. So it was that whole thing was hard. And so I was definitely a single mom from the time Ian was, you know, two or three. Oh, wow. That's really young. Yep. Okay. So it was a long time where I was just I was pretty much on my own, making my own decisions. And that's one of the things about I, I was thinking, like, I want to write a book called single mom syndrome because you get nothing but support as a single mother like from all your friends all your everyone tells you you're doing a great job oh my gosh you don't know how you're doing it you're doing a great job and that's actually not so great (laughs) (laughs) because you're like i can do no wrong all my decisions are the right ones right right you know all of them that's a good nobody is ever nobody ever second guesses me nobody I know what I'm doing. Did you hear my whole fan club of all my girlfriends are all telling me I'm doing yeah. a great job. And people are saying, oh, your kids are great. You know, oh, your kids are great. Oh, you must be doing a great job. Oh, it's all great. You know, and then it was one day my son came back from college and he was sitting there and he just had kind of a, a kind of a breakdown, like a, not a not a full blown thing, but something very uncharacteristic of him. And I, I said to him, in fact, I was telling him yesterday that I was coming on this and I asked if I could talk about it. And oh, he said good. I could. Um, it was, uh, I said it was like the cat in the matrix. Mm-hmm. I was looking at him and I went, something's really wrong. Yeah. Like all of a sudden everything's wrong. Yeah. Like the, I thought we were all good. Yeah. Oh, something's wrong. And so I had a friend of mine. I was in a networking group and this woman was a therapist and she got up and she said something about how she can handle families and this and that. And I really liked her. And I, and so I said to her, I said, I think we need group therapy. I need, we we know need to go in as a family. And that was four, like four and a half years ago. And we went in and the first time was, Oh, ha 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 ha. We're so great. Yeah. Second one. Ha ha ha. We're kind (laughs) of great. Third one. Well, all four of them turn and then just let me have it. Wow. And I just went, oh, I was like, oh, no, the, no, this, can't, no, this can't be like, this can't be right. And then the next one was like, we left separate cars. Wow. And I thought I'm, I blew it. I, I must've blown it. I, I completely doubted everything that I ever did. And so it took like four years for us to go separate. So we all separated out, went to her separately. Mm-hmm. And for us to go through one thing after another wow. to get back. That's so brave. It was scary. That's really brave. And that happened because your son came home and had a breakdown? Yep. And I thank him yeah. every, I get emotional, but I thank him every time we talk now, I say to him that I think he saved our family. Amazing. Do you really think it was headed in a real bad way and you just didn't know it? It was going toward um, complacency. It was, or is that the right word? It was going toward fake denial world. Oh, interesting. You know, where everybody was nice to me and we were all, but I don't think they really liked being with me or they did, but it wasn't genuine. Like they didn't feel comfortable to tell me what they were, their hopes and their dreams 
I think we had just gotten into this place, you know, and you know, those, you know, where people send flowers to their mom on mother's day and don't really have anything to do with them or dread going to dread going to their house for the holidays or whatever, bringing the kids. So we got to go to your mom. Mm -hmm. I think it was headed that way. Really? Yeah, I think it was. Wow. And, and, and now we look back on it, we think, well, maybe not completely because they still had wanted to work it out with me. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I didn't completely screw it up. If Mm -hmm. they were willing to go, everybody wanted to go to therapy. Nobody ever said to me, I don't want to go to therapy. So everybody cared. So they cared enough. Yeah, yeah. it meant it meant something to each so of I them. So I did something. You did. And, oh, you did yeah. a lot. Right. And oh, then my kidding? second son, Matt, is the one who, when he was four, he looked at me and he said, you know, mom, when I was, before I came to you, I was an 85-year-old Chinaman. <laughs> like, so, like, completely out of nowhere. I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> kind of matches. Kind of matches. That's so, so funny. He's the one in the family who's the emotionally intelligent. One. He's the one that always just seems to be kind of like taking it all in. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, da, da, balancing everything out. So he kind of stayed in there with me where he wasn't. He didn't seem to be as as um, upset or um, he just. Always, so I always felt like, OK, well, if I have him. Then I think I'm good. Then you, you got know? all four. I think I have them. Yeah. And the fact that they kept, and my oldest would say to me, I'm going to therapy because I want to work on this. Like, mm. I want this to happen. What was the big problem, if you can say? Um, was there one big problem or was it like that time in third grade when you tied my shoelaces together? I mean, you know. I think there was, you know, it's interesting. That's a good question. If there was one, I think there was a, I think there was an arrogance on my part that I did think that I knew what I was doing, that I, everything I was telling them was absolute, was absolute Mm -hmm. and didn't put into account their experience or their feeling or their processing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've learned all those, those tools now that I think are, are, in fact, I was saying to my oldest the other day, I said, it's so simple now. And I, I just didn't know it was so simple. I always thought that I had to have an answer for everything or Uh I had to tell them what to do or whatever. And I think I didn't know I could just say, so what you're saying to me is that you feel when you tell me something, I'm not really listening or that I'm, I'm judging you based on this is what I'm hearing mm-hmm. and and get them to clarify it uh-huh. and then say, well, this is how I feel. So let me just tell you how I feel. Mm-hmm. And just go, that back and forth mm-hmm. was just I didn't I was never raised with that. Right. It's, it's about having a curiosity about the other person. Right. And if you're not a naturally curious person in that way, it is something that you have to learn. Um, and I, I think, think so. I was curious like that with other people, mm-hmm. but not necessarily with my children. Because you have four of them and you got to get from A to B every yeah. day. And so the, I would imagine if I had four, if I doubled my two kids and had two more of them it, in a certain way, it would have to be my way or the highway, sort of. Like I can't right. do, I can't have that back and forth communication with all four of them all the time. Yeah. I yep. mean, it, 
And I would imagine the collateral damage, so to speak, of that would be them feeling like they never got it. When in reality, it was probably something in the middle. Right. Exactly. They got some of it, but not all of it. And the key times they really needed it were times that maybe you couldn't give it just probably simply from semantics. Exactly. There's just so many right. of you. So but, I have a hard enough time dealing with the two plus dad who is super. Dad's like having two more kids by himself, you know. Right. Not great at what you're talking about either at at being curious and saying, let me understand what you're saying to me. He's he's a little bit what you describe. And I wonder what that's going to look like for us long term. I think, I, maybe I'm not, but I think I've been pretty good at, at saying, let me see if I understand what you're feeling or what you've said. Right. Or what you're asking. Right. But Bert is definitely not that guy. So it's interesting you say that. Um, it must be hard. It must be hard for him in a way because he's an entertainer, because he's, it's so one-sided. Mm-hmm. He's the performer. Mm-hmm. It must be hard for... And I've done, I've had some experience in comedy, very little, but I mean, but I've been around. In fact, I work at Flappers right now. It's just you another, do? whole nother story. Oh, that's but, awesome. But um, yeah, I'm working in the classes. So it's really oh, cool. fun. I really enjoy it. But I did stand up for a while when I was young, but I, but I, I've always said like that a comic, comics are funny because one, they're very negative because mm-hmm. that's the comedy, mm-hmm. right? So it was always hard for me to be a comic and to be a stand up because I, you had to look at the negatives. You have to like you you complain and you criticize mm-hmm. and you're always and it's so one sided. Yes. you know because you're standing up there and you're criticizing and everybody's going, "Oh my god, that's so true." Ah. Yeah, and people are validating, right? It. Yeah, and so when you're in the real world, like, and I tried to become a more pot, you know, to be positive, and I I tend to be that way. My dad used to always say I was a goddamn Pollyanna because <laughs> <laughs> I was always trying, you know, da da da, I was trying to be the happy, you know, find the happy side of things. And so it was hard as a comedian to do that because nobody wants to laugh at somebody who's like, oh, life is good. You yeah, know? right. Isn't it great at the DMV? They're people <laughs> so friendly. You know, I went through that line so fast. <laughs> and that's the end of it. Yes, <laughs> you're right. You're right. So I would think that to be on that, you know, to actually do the give and take is that's why I liked improv. Mm-hmm. And when I came out to California, from New York, I was like, I didn't want to do stand up anymore. And I wanted to do improv because I liked being in the moment. Mm-hmm. And there I felt like I could be a little bit, it, it would be different than standing up there and just like rattling off the things. Although I highly respect it because yeah. I know how much hard work it is. Yeah, totally. To get up there and, and, and to work, make sure things work and to keep that audience. And I think it's amazing. So maybe that's, you know, that must be from a communication standpoint. When you do that for a living, you know, yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but yeah, he, I just, yeah, he does struggle with um, listening, you know, not talking, just listening, just sitting down and listening to what someone has to say and not arguing with their point right away instead of just saying, let me make sure I understand their point. And he does have a hard time seeing points other than his own. It takes a lot to get him. To go, okay, you know, perfect example. Our daughter got her uh, septum pierced and he had definite opinions about that. And she came back and I was, I was like, you did? Oh my gosh. I, okay. Um, Ouch. Not what I would have done, but okay. And she goes, listen, mom, I thought about it. I can hide it. I just like flip it up inside my nose and no one can see it. 
And five years from now, when I don't want it anymore, no one can see the scar. If I had gotten pierced on the outside of my nose, you could see the scar and I can't hide it. And I went, you know what? That's pretty freaking smart. So if you want to experience uh, experiment with piercings, I got to be on your team here. And before she explained it to me, I was like, what? No. Right. This right. is forever. No. And then right. when she explained it. I went, okay, I am now on your team. But it took a lot more talking to get Bert on her team. Same exact explanation. Right. And it just took him maybe two weeks of processing, not joking, like it took me the conversation to yes. process it. As soon as she explained her point, I was on her team. He heard the point and went, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter for two weeks. And I kept going, hey, honey, you know, she has a good point. Here's the point again. And at a certain point, he was like, I mean, it's her body, whatever. You know, that was, I was like, okay. But it just took longer, so much longer. Right. And I always wonder, how does that make Georgia feel? I mean, how does that make her feel that her dad is like, no, no, no. And that her mom goes, well, tell me your point of view. Okay, now I see your point of view. But see, you got the balance I guess of the so. two. Yeah. That's what, that's what I realized that I really thought that I could do it. I really thought I could do it all. I could do both. Right. And in fact, I think now that you say it, what was my biggest thing? I think I tried to act too much like a dad. Oh. Instead of a mom. Ah. And I think the nurturing and the gushy Got and the lovey and the, all that stuff, I kind of put that on hold. And I tried to be because I figured, oh, well, they have their mom. Yeah. I'm going to try and be their dad. Also be authoritarian. Yeah. Authoritative. And I had a closer relationship. I think you and I have that in common where I had a closer relationship with my father. I mm -hmm. loved my father very much. Mm -hmm. I always felt like my father loved me. Mm -hmm. And my mother was always, and my my I, my mom's 93. She lives in Burbank. I go see her every week. I She's in assisted living. I take care of all her stuff. And I love her. But it was my dad and I were really had the. Mm -hmm. And so I think I had a lot of kind of that male kind of fatherly kind of advice with them. And since they were boys, mm -hmm. I think I thought, oh, I'll be more like that. Mm -hmm. And I think they wanted a mom. Isn't that interesting? They wanted a, a mush. They wanted the mushy. They a didn't, soft place to fall. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. That soft, safe place to fall. Which you were a, a safe place to fall, I'm sure, but maybe not as soft. Yeah, they see it now. So now they, they're, they're funny because now they'll come back and they'll say they, they see it now. Mm -hmm. and But then I turned it off, especially once all the therapy started, my feelings were hurt. Yeah. So I tended to be a little, I was, I was scared mm -hmm. to be hurt. So I had to talk to my therapist about it and say, I'm scared. I'm scared now to give them the hug. I'm scared now because I'm afraid they're going to brush me off or they're going to be like, get away from me. And I'm scared. And she goes, well, you have you have to kind of do it anyway. And you just have to risk it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, <laughs> it's going to hurt my feelings. And it was. So and then I was saying to her, I was like, because my son, like my oldest son never he's we call him the whale. He's not a texter. 
so you text him and then he surfaces <laughs> and then all the texts that you've texted him all come back at you. <laughs> and you're like, we got him. We got him. We're good. And he's down and again. He's like, down. So he goes down again. Ah, that's so funny. And so the, my second, my second son, he texts back so fast that I'm starting to con- be concerned. Like, is he driving? You know, like, it's just like, why is he texting me back so fast? You know? So, um, so I was, so my oldest, I would be like, I wanted to say I was thinking about him or whatever. And I was scared if he didn't answer or whatever. And so she said, she goes, you text him things that he doesn't need to answer. Right. So she said, just text him things he didn't need to answer. And I did that with all four of them. Mm-hmm. Thinking about you, love you very much. Yeah. Thinking about you, very proud of you. Awesome. Um, thinking about you, you know, da, 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 da. Oh, I saw this. I thought it was really funny. No response needed. Right. And I just started doing stuff like that. And it was really a big out of my comfort zone thing to do. Yeah. Of just sticking my neck out. So what was the positive for that? What was the what was the what did you gain from doing that? That got them back. Got them to realize that they that was there regardless. Got it. I gave them all the room they needed mm -hmm. to go off and do whatever and to say to me all the things that they had issues with, all the hard things, all the things that I thought I was doing great about and that I made mistakes, all the things I know I did right. And I was just going to wait it out until they could kind of see it. Mm -hmm. And I had to just kind of, I just had to wait it out. And I just did. And I decided I was going to show them unconditional love. Right. Which is all they want. I was just going to be here. And all they want really when they get to a certain age is autonomy. And I think when you give them autonomy, they come back, mm-hmm. you know, cause they want to be with you, but they want to be their own person. Right. And that autonomy piece, um, I've never really had a problem with it, but I think Bert has had a problem with the autonomy piece mm-hmm. and, and seeing that they're going to leave our house and that is healthy. Yeah. And that's what you want. You want them to go off into the world and be their own person. Right. And if you are strong enough to let them do that, they will come back Mm -hmm. because you're always there. You know, it's the one given, or at least that's the way I've tried to set up my family is to be, to see my kids as who they are, not who I think they are or who I want them to be, but who they really are. And they are not me. That's right. Yeah. I don't have a cheerleader. I don't have anybody who was super excited about going to prom in a big fancy dress. I don't have anybody that was super in love with their high school boyfriend. I don't have that. And mm-hmm. I, I'm cool with that 100% because right. who I have is so much more interesting Absolutely. than who yes. I was at that time. I was very typical. And they're just not. They're just themselves and they're so cool. And there's so many other factors now mm-hmm. because it's a whole different time. Mm-hmm. And they have whole different peers mm-hmm. than we had. In a different had. city. Yeah. So yeah. it's like all the things that we thought was like, well, this is the way it was. Because I know when I was in high school, X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's like, well, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Their whole experience is different than ours was. And we have to really like listen to them. Mm-hmm. My one son said to me that he would get in the car and he'd say, and I'd say, how was your day? And he'd say, it was good. And he said, and I was okay with that. And he was, that would frustrate him because he said, that's what everybody said to me. You know, the teacher, whatever people say, how are you doing? 
And I'd say, good. And they were okay with that. He goes, I expected my mom to dig a little deeper and want to really know. And he said, now I look back on it and I know you were busy or picking me up. It was, you know, wasn't always that way. But sometimes I think you were happy to hear everything was good. So you could go check, yeah. move on to the next thing. And so now I've been, I've been a lot more, I, now I'm not afraid to ask more questions and to really get them to talk to me and allow time. I make, now I make dates, you know, I'll say, cause one, my oldest is in San Diego and he has a girlfriend. He's madly in love. He's so cute. He's so happy. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. That's it's so the greatest great. thing in the world to have somebody who like makes your kid so happy. Yeah. It's the most beautiful thing. And so now I'll just say to him, Hey, are you around this weekend? I'd love to talk to you on the phone. Um, is, is there a good time we can talk on the phone and we will make a date and then we'll talk on the phone. Right. And so, and we'll talk for two hours. Amazing. On the phone. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And then my second son's in Ohio. He's going to, um, he's with his uncle. He's learned to be an electrician. Amazing. So he's in his second year apprentice as a journeyman. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He was never a school person. Yeah. He just wasn't. Uh, electricians, super smart people. They have to be really smart. <laughs> or they kind of electrocute themselves. Kill themselves. <laughs> right? Yes. It's a really smart trade. Yes. So yeah. he, and, and I, it was funny because I said to him, I was like, you know, there's two, there's like, there's the job that you do that's your passion and that you get paid for. And then there's a job that pays you to do your hobbies. Yes. And so there, you know, electricians have boats and they have yeah, things you know totally they have stuff they retire you know they can retire early you know if they do it right so he no he likes it that's good i think he really likes it yeah so. my high school boyfriend was an electrician he retired at like 51 yeah i mean mm -hmm. uh hi not a bad job and he's in columbus he's going to work on that that uh that biden keeps talking about the the chip company in columbus mm -hmm. and so there's a whole government subsidy thing going on and of course, it's taken forever to get started because it's, you know, <laughs> government. It's government, but it's yeah. probably starting. But he's going to be part of that. And then that'll probably be like a 12 year job. Amazing. That he'll work on. But it's funny, though, because it's like they have these like they're old boys, you know, they're like giving him a hard time. And he's from California and they make fun of him and they do all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I understand if they're making fun of him about the work. But they make fun of him about like other stuff. And I, I actually messaged Mike Rowe on mm -hmm. Instagram. Of course, I didn't hear back. But I messaged him and I was like, you want these guys to take these dirty jobs. Yeah. Well, tell the guys they're working with not to be such you know, sons of bitches. Cause right? they're like really obnoxious to him. They're like, Aww. they're little weird things that they'll do. And I'll say to him, I'll go, well, do you think it's like an initiation thing or something? And he goes, it's okay. It's all right. I understand. You know, I'm like, when does it end though? Like, yeah. it just seems like it's, it's, I guess it's his fraternity experience. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds very much the same. But some of it's kind of dumb. Like, I, like I said, I understand like some of them. Yeah. But some of them are kind of dumb. And I go, you know, if you guys want these guys to come in and be electricians and be the same, maybe lighten up on that old, you know. Good old boy shit that's happening. Right, exactly. Oh, how funny. Today's Wife of the Party is brought to you by HelloFresh, one of my all-time favorites. You know, I've been using HelloFresh for years and years and years for many reasons. It's easy. It's healthy. 
It's tasty and my kids can cook it. It's super easy directions to follow and it's fresh. Hello, fresh. It does more than just delicious dinners, not only. Can you take your pick from 40 weekly recipes, but you can choose from over 100 items to round out your order from snacks and easy lunches to desserts and pantry necessities. Everything arrives in one box on a delivery day that you choose, which is kind of awesome. Uh, When the spring sunshine is calling your name, don't call for takeout. Get HelloFresh instead. Their quick and easy meals make feeding the family a cinch and without the high price tag. Their new fast and fresh options are ready in just 15 minutes or less. I mean, that is music to my ears. 15 minutes or less. I am working so much lately that I come home and I'm so happy when I have a HelloFresh in the fridge because I just don't have to think about it. We love it in our house because it's just so convenient and easy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Wife16 and use the code Wife16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's right. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Wife16 and use the code Wife16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, I'm a big fan of BetterHelp. I'm a big fan of therapy. I've been in therapy my entire adult life at one point or another for various reasons. I think therapy is a big mystery to a lot of people. Uh, People think you have to be broken or you have to be in some grief-stricken moment or suicidal or bipolar, but that's not true. Uh, Therapy is great for so many things. Therapy is great to use as a mentorship if you maybe don't have great role models in your life. Therapy is great to get you through a hard time. Uh, Therapy is great just to have someone to unload on because you don't want your life to be about unloading on people. You'd like your life to be positive. But but we all have negative baggage. We got to put somewhere. So therapy can be many different things for, for everybody. I think everybody at some point in their life could use the help of a professional therapist. And BetterHelp is a great way to get that for yourself. BetterHelp makes getting therapy easier because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible, and you can suit it to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Listen, the right fit doesn't always happen the first time. And for therapy to be really effective, you need the right fit. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com wife today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash wife. BetterHelp.com slash wife today to get 10% off your first month. Well, I want to reiterate what you said, uh, because I think it is really important that asking how was your day and having great as an answer to not be acceptable. I think that's really important because I did that, too. But what I what I did in my house was at dinner every night, we all asked, answered the same question, three questions. Um, what was your favorite part of your day? What was the least favorite part of your day? And what are you grateful for? And what are you grateful for? It could be uh, my shoes were comfortable. It doesn't have to be like any kind of like Jesus saved. You know, it doesn't have to be that. I just I when they were really little, I thought 
I'm going to put something in place that happens every day. So they can't say, I don't want to do it. Or where's this coming from? So that if something's going down mm-hmm. and I know something's going down, right? that question is already there. Or yes. if something's going down and I don't know about it, mm-hmm. the question's already there. So then they have to tell me favorite, least favorite. And I can't tell you how much shit came out of that. Those three questions. I learned so much about what was going on. Hmm. Um, in everybody's life, even in Bert's life, sometimes something would happen that he'd forgotten to tell me. And when you take the moment to say, what is the least favorite part of my day? Oh yeah. I had this bad conversation with another comic about ABC. Then also it gave us all the opportunity to support each other and to know what was going on in each other's moment. Right. You know, yeah. to say, oh, well, so-and-so is not nice to you at school. Well, I don't like that. So I'm going to watch her with you next time you're together. It was just, I don't know what I came up with that because I really, um, I really think that I was meant to be a spy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I was meant to be in the CIA or something because I am all about how do you gather information without anybody knowing you're gathering information? Oh, that's interesting. Um, That's great. I (laughs) fucking love doing that. I love being curious and asking questions and someone not, uh, I hope none of my employees are listening to this right now because that is what I do. I go, I'm going to ask a set of questions over here. We'll see what they say because really I want to know the answer to this one. And in answering these, I'm going to get the answer to this one. Yes. Uh-huh. And then I can ask you this one directly because you've already answered it. Yeah. Right so I think that was my way. Yeah. Of getting answers without asking questions. I think it is important to not take great. It's so great that you brought that up. That yeah. That's something that you learned. Because I think for anybody listening that has kids younger than our kids, start doing it now. Absolutely. You know, and and it's interesting you said that about saying at least one good thing. I did do that with Matt, with my second son, because he was bullied when he was in middle school and um, because he was skinny and he was he was like the only blonde kid. He was like the only blonde kid. (laughs) People would drive down. They'd say I saw Matt out with all the people because he was like had long blonde hair and, you know, and so he would and so he would always have. He would always have some story of what had happened. And I started saying to him, you know, when you get in the car, I want you to tell me, I I want you to understand that I know you had a rough day. Mm. And I want you to understand that I know that this kid was bugging you again because it was always the first thing he would tell me. Mm -hmm. And I said, now I want you to get in the car and tell me the one good thing that happened. Even if it was somebody like you dropped your pencil, they picked it up. Yeah. Or they looked at you and they smiled. Or a teacher says, just one good thing. And then you can tell me all the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I wanted him to start going through the day, Mm -hmm. like what's going to be my good thing that I tell mom. Yeah, to find the hopeful part of the day. Exactly. And that was a big thing. That actually ended up being a good, that was a kind of a turnaround. That's good time for him where he started realizing that oh actually my day wasn't so because you can spiral totally you totally and focus on the bad stuff yes you know you attach to and then that becomes a habit that you habitually attach to the negative yeah and instead of being not that you should habitually necessarily attach to the positive because that's not always true either Mm -hmm. you should say was your favorite part was your least favorite part because there is both in every day Right. There is every day you have, I hated being in traffic. 
or, you know, yeah. I didn't like getting on the scale this morning right. or, you know, I hate picking up dog poop. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Least favorite part of the day is picking up dog poop. But if you say it too, then, then you feel like, like other people hear and go, oh yeah. So you have like some teammate or some sympathy or something. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. That does suck that you pick up dog poop. You know, it makes you feel better. Right. Uh, right. And it keeps you kind of balanced, I guess. Or at least I hope that's what it did for my kids. It does that for me. Yeah. As we, even though it's just me and Isla, we still do it. You know, because Bert's on the road, George's in college. We still ask that question oh, of each so other. It's just we have two dinner. of you. Yeah, yeah, it's just two of us at home. I know Bert calls her my roommate. <laughs> <laughs> We're roommates now. We look exactly alike. We sound alike. Our voices sound very similar. I have an accent. She doesn't. But like the tone and the volume, everything like that sounds... It's kind of bizarre. I I keep thinking when she goes, I'm going to be in trouble. I got to figure out what to do with myself because um, she and I are are having a really good time right now. Oh, so, it's magic time. It's kind of magic always time. Look back. You'll always look back on it. I hope so. I yeah. think so. Uh, we're really enjoying each other uh, to the point where I think she should maybe be hanging out more with her friends. <laughs> I don't know why she wants to just watch the great with me. You know, she does. She should be going with her friends. Um, she's a homebody. She always has been. So it's mm-hmm. not super out of character. Yeah. But the kids are like that, though. They're not real out. They don't all go out. That oh, much. Georgia did. Oh, oh Georgia, Georgia oh. was never home. Oh, interesting. No. Oh, that's funny. She was never home. Yeah. Or if she was home, there were three other people there. It was it was funny. My oldest went to the um the magnet in uh at North Hollywood High. Uh-huh. And so all the kids that he went to school with, a lot of them were very like, you know, goal wanted to go to Harvard, the whole thing, right? And so none of them really did much socially mm-hmm. until then it just that turned that corner when everybody started hearing from the colleges and then they all went out. Then he was gone all the time. Yes. It was funny because I was just starting to worry about him because I was super social when yeah. I was in high school. I was never home. Oh, amen. Ever home. Yeah, never. I was I was out with all my friends all the time. And so I was always like, you can you, you, you call him up. Aren't you going to just go hang out? Go hang out them all. Like, go somewhere. And then as soon as everything shifted and they were all like, everyone knew where they were going school-wise and everything else, he was gone. Yeah. It was really funny. Because nobody wanted to ruin their ride. You know, right? They didn't want to ruin things. They were studying. They were doing all that stuff. So yeah, it was really funny. And he 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 shook everything up because he wanted to go to the University of Oregon and they, they didn't know what to do with him there. No? They, were there, they didn't want to encourage him to go to the University of Oregon because they wanted... Who, high, everything, school high school yeah, didn't? Yeah, high school, yeah. Because he was in the 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 highly gifted magnet, you know, uh-huh. in North Hollywood High. And they were all like, oh, no, it's all. She handed him a book. Like, she goes, I don't know if I can really help you with this. What? <laughs> it was so strange. How yeah. bizarre. It was really strange because they were all going to everyone else was going all to the Ivy Leagues. And so he his grades weren't quite there for that. And also it just wasn't his personality. Right. He loves sports. Yeah. Loves football. Loves it. So he went to he was a duck. Was he? So he went to University of Oregon and he loved it. He did. Yeah. Oh, I heard. Are, are you thinking of um, University of Alabama? Or are you not thinking about it? I, no. I thought I remembered hearing something in one of the podcasts. No. Oh, OK. Roll time. No, someone thought... someone said to me that the University of Alabama has a really good interior design. program. Oh, OK. But no, we're not considered not considering Bama. No. Oh, OK. Because um, I have family in Alabama. You do? Where? Yeah. In De- Decatur and Florence uh-huh. and in uh uh, yeah, Florence. And yeah, and they all went to University of Alabama. Of course they did. Yeah. 
And my cousin's a big barbecue guy oh, in awesome. Alabama. Yeah. And we have a lake. My dad has a lake house in Alabama. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, it's sort of not too far from Auburn. Oh, all um, right. But um, sorry, I'm a Georgia fan. Oh, no. I can't that's do right. Bama. No, I didn't go. Uh, I can't, t- I can't do Bama. She, I mean, if she wanted to go to Bama, she totally could. I would be fine. But I think it's a little too big for her. Right. I think she needs something like in the 15,000 student range. Not oh, in so the she's thinking mega. of interior design. Yeah. yeah. Oh. She's actually really naturally good at it. She's interned a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, the, everybody keeps saying she just kind of understands things that she just shouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's really smart spatially where she can look at a room and go this here, this here, this here, this here, and it all works. And she's really good with color and she really likes it. I have a so. really good friend of mine who went to Parsons School of Design in New York yep. for interior design. And she was like that, too. Yeah. She can look in a she can empty room yeah. and make it gorgeous. And now mm-hmm. what she does, she lives up in Mercer, in Mercer, um, Mercer Island near Seattle. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot of the um, what do they call that when you set up the house oh staging uh, staging yeah Yeah. i I never can remember the word staging it's so weird yeah she does all that staging and everything is gorgeous isn't it yeah and it's definitely a talent absolutely that that is that is a a talent i think it's incredible what you can do with the subtleties to just change everything in a room Mm -hmm. and i don't have that i'm good at like i picked out this wallpaper and this couch i was going to say if she had anything i love the wallpaper i i picked out the wallpaper and the couch and that's a and this chair. And mm-hmm. after that, I was like, I'm lost. I have no <laughs> idea what to do now. Like I, this stuff on here. No, I didn't do any of that. I, I did know buy what the I don't like. You know what you don't like? I know like? what I don't like. Mm-hmm. But I but it, you have to show me things for me to look at it I and see. make a decision. Yeah. 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 I can't do it myself. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love this. though. I love that couch, too. I so what do you one. do for a living? OK, so it's complicated. <laughs> So when the kids, when I realized, so, so Steve was a lighting designer. Okay. And he did big events, big, big events. Um, he did the, 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 you know, after the Oscars, they were talking about Elton John's big party, you know. He did that party when it was at Maple Drive. It was like the Elton John Maple Drive party. Mm-hmm. He lit that. Oh, wow. He would light big, huge events, mm-hmm. um, people's weddings, Tom and Nicole's wedding. Mm-hmm. He lit that at the in Santa Monica. So he'd do all these big lighting events and he was a lighting designer. And he didn't transition. To, he drew everything. Mm-hmm. And he didn't transition to the computer and mm-hmm. the computer programs because mm-hmm. that's what happened to us. And my now I'm going to be 60. Mm-hmm. So in our generation, we had this weird transition where everything went from people did things manually mm-hmm to to these computer programs yeah and if you didn't embrace it you got left in the dust right and it was it was brutal you know mm-hmm. it and he he kept saying the computer the, the computer is going to be just for the big tours rolling stones all that stuff moving lights it's never going to be for my stuff mm-hmm. my stuff's always going to need to be drawn mm-hmm. because i'm going to meet with client yada yada and he just didn't he just didn't move with it. And mm. then there was a writer strike. So he just started not working. Mm. And I was like, I I wanted to be home with the kids. I had, I always wanted to have children. So I always had jobs that I could do until I had children or whatever. I worked at a really high-end jewelry store in Newport Beach. So I know all about jewelry. I know I'm like, I, I was an executive assistant for a writer. I could do that. I could do all these little things. So I was like, 
I could do this. I could do that. I had all these little weird jobs. And I was like, I need to do something, though. Living in this area, I was going to need to do something that made more money mm -hmm. to be able to, to, to do here. this. You yeah, to live here. So I got involved. That's when I got involved with Arbonne, the skincare company. Uh huh. And I started 25 years ago. Wow. And I was like, I'm only going to do this, make a couple hundred dollars a month. I'm only going to do this to, to, to supplement. Well, well, maybe I need to make a little more. Well, maybe I'm going to make a little more. And so I ended up getting to the point, and by 2003, I supported us completely. With Arbonne? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yep. I don't know and anything about get, that product. They get, and right now we're in a phase uh -huh. where MLMs are in like the bat. We go in waves where yeah. sometimes people like us, and then now right now nobody likes us. Right. And there's a young people thing where for some reason they don't like us. I don't defend the whole industry because I know, of course, just like anything, there's going to be bad companies. Yeah. But our company always came out of the gate with healthy products. We don't use any harmful ingredients. Our founder wanted it that way. Well, now we're a certified B Corporation, which means we have to be transparent on where all the money goes, where all the stuff goes. Nobody in our distribution center makes a minimum wage they make a living wage mm -hmm. like there are all these things that we have to do all these hoops we have to jump through to be part of the certified b corporation family mm -hmm. and so when <laughs> so i get a little sensitive about it because when people talk about these corporations share profit sharing i don't exactly know what they mean how they're going to do that if they don't do it like we do it hmm. where i've i've gotten i have people who've bought from me for 25 years mm -hmm. Every time they order, Arbon goes, thank you, and sends me a percentage. Right. I don't see the issue with that. Right. You know? And I understand that there are other companies that take advantage of people. They make them sock a lot of money in. Yeah, our company just isn't that way. Right. And so I wouldn't be part of it if I didn't think that it was a, a wonderful company to be part of. So mm -hmm. I have a big organization all through the country. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, it's right now it's kind of, cause I'm in, I have other interests right now. So it's kind of plateaued mm -hmm. and I haven't been like actively building it, finding new people. Mm -hmm. And so, but I've been very grateful cause I have it forever. Mm -hmm. I have this company forever. I can will it to my kids. So it's just, so it was the thing that saved me because I could work my business around Picking them up from school, going to all the things, volunteering in school and being there, you know, for all the things. OK, so, I have a lot of questions. Yes. So. What do you mean you have people all over the country? You have like sales representatives yeah. that work under you. Is mm -hmm. that what you mean? Mm -hmm. And so. Do you it's mentor like them? Avon and no, no, like I saw Avon. Guys. I saw oh, okay. Avon for two like and a half years. Yeah, you mentor them. But I don't have anybody under me though. Yeah, I just reported to somebody. You, you have like them? a team, and yeah, then yeah. once a year we have a big convention, and we all get together, and we have a great time. And it just sounds like sales. It's great. Yeah. How is it different than I? I sales. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, but I mean, it's for, funny because for me, just, for Avon, it was just sales. Yeah, it was the it was. Well, you just have different people in your network. Got it. So if some you have two kinds of people, you have a somebody who comes in your network that says, yeah, I'll share it with other people. Yeah. Or you have people who just said, I'm just going to buy it. Got it. I see. OK, so I just bought it with Avon. Mm -hmm. I didn't I had a boss, so to speak. Right. But. But I, I didn't have anybody under me and there was nobody else beside me. Yeah. So I did that. Option. I have little satellites of all over the country where uh -huh. other people share it. 
Got it. But there's no there's no requirement. Nobody goes broke. Right. And our, you know, nobody, there's nothing that you anybody, don't have to buy a bunch of stuff and then. No, and no. leave it in the, and leave in the garage and have yeah. a bunch of stuff. No, not yeah. at all. Everything's online now. Right. And, and everything went online. And right. so now, and in fact, that's why I started doing other things because so much of it's online and I like to be around people. Yeah. That I'm doing so much online and, and then I, then I want to get out and meet people and talk to people. So, and after COVID, it really, because we did fine during COVID. I would imagine. Because we were, they, they bought toilet paper and then they bought, we have protein shakes and so they bought all our stuff. We did really, really well because you could, because it would be delivered. Wait, do you sell toilet paper? And it was vegan. Paper? And, no, 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 no. I'm just oh, saying okay. like, I was with say COVID. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I see people in general were buying toilet paper. And then they and bought protein, protein shakes. It Got was it. like, it Got was it. so funny. It was like, there was this wave of everybody wanted to stock up. And so a lot of our clients all of a sudden started wanting to stock up, not knowing how long, like, you know, with COVID, nobody knew what was going to happen. Right. And how long things were going to last. Right. And so our stuff's all vegan. It's all... And Good what's your stuff. skincare like? What is it skincare? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've been around for 43 years. It's a long time. And it's all cruelty free. We were like the first listed on PETA's list of no harmful ingredients. We've never used like, you know, petrolatum, animal byproduct, any of that stuff. We've never used it. What's your number one competitor? Um, oh, that's hard to say. I'm not really sure. Because in the certified B Corporation, we came back on ranking, just came back really high. So we were higher than any other network marketing company like us. And then um, I'm not I'm not really sure because we try to we try to stay in our lane. Like yeah. we try not to compare because there's twenty five thousand oh, skincare companies in the United States. I don't even know. There's how so you know. many and they come in and out and then you got to compete with the you got the celebrities that have theirs. Well, that was what's funny. So I'm on Instagram during the Oscars and Lady Gaga I'm texting my friend who worked for Armani during Oscars. And I'm like, what do you think of her dress? Oh, her dress is beautiful. Her makeup's so severe. Why is her makeup so severe? We're texting back and forth. And she's got like, because it was, it was just so severe. Mm -hmm. Well, she turned around in the show. I don't know if you watched it. And she she had it all off. Yeah, nothing on. So somebody on Twitter, really funny, posted a thing that said, um, how did she do that? Because I try to take my makeup off and I always end up looking like the Joker, right? It was really funny. No matter how many times I try. So I thought it would be funny to screenshot that Twitter, that Twitter thing, and put it on Instagram and then do a picture of our eye makeup remover and go, the only way she could have done it is she used ours. Like, it was a joke, right? I got, like, major trolls. You did? Like, messaging. Yeah, they were, like, private messaging me going, how dare you try to say, Lady Gaga has her own cosmetic line. How dare you? And I was like, whoa. I was like, look, I have... I don't have that big a following on Instagram. I'm like, whoa, calm down. You yeah. know, I was just kidding. Right. <laughs> so I went back in, I re-edited it and I went, it's just a joke. Right? I never, never said that Lady Gaga used our product. I was like, calm down. It was just a joke. But oh yeah, it, it's, it is it's really funny. So there's so many, a lot, you know, there's companies out there that make products for people to brand, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So they're so you say I want to make a skincare line. They say what do you want it to look like and they basically put it together yeah. for them. So it's, you know, it's been I've just been doing it for such a long time. And your that, skin looks amazing. Well, thank you. I'm assuming you use your own product. I do. Yeah. yeah. And my mom does too. So my mom's 93 and everybody always talks about how pretty my mom's skin is. Yeah, your skin looks great. So everyone says, "Oh, it's hereditary." It's like, "Oh, no." 
A little. A but little. after a while, it's how your skin, how well you treated your skin. Yeah. You know, you go with hereditaries for so long and then eventually it'll be how did you how did you take good care of it? So right. my skin's just really, really sensitive. And I got involved because my skin and my oldest son's that way, too. We literally will break out like our hands. If I use with hand sanitizers mm. is the worst on my hands. My really? hands freak out. They get all red and everything. So the Arbonne was the only product I could use. And that's why I started thinking like, well, this could be what I could do. Mm. And I could raise my kids and I could do it while I raised my kids. Right. So I had at one point I did that. I was working for a writer two days a week who was Sherwood Schwartz's son. Okay. Yeah. From Brady Bunch. Yeah. yeah. His son. And he was a attorney and he was also a screenwriter. He did the movie Bottle Shock. Mm-hmm. Alan Rickman. Oh, uh, I helped him with that movie That's um, cool. because he went all the way up that he went because <clears throat> he did. Oh, I need a sip of water. He did a um, <clears throat> he went up to the wine country. Sorry about that. Thanks no, for having no the water here. Mm-hmm. Um, he went up into the wine country. In fact, that's how I know about the French laundry because <clears throat> I tried to get him into the French laundry and I couldn't. Yeah. And I so I have like a bitter thing about the French laundry. So when that whole thing happened with Gavin Newsom, I was like, French laundry, I hate you. you know, it's like, how dare you get in there? And I couldn't get Ross in there. But he he wrote a it's a great movie all about uh the wine country and how the, the California wine was completely treated like garbage from the French and all that stuff is really such a great movie. So that was really fun. But I worked for him like two days a week. I worked at a jewelry store. I typed real estate listings. I did whatever I could to work around Steve's schedule and work around the school schedule. And then I just, as I made more money with Arbonne, I dropped a different job. Right. That's great. I have friends of mine that tease me and they go, one day you should write a book about all the jobs you've had, like all the crazy jobs. I'm like, yeah, I'm just a worker. Yeah. I have to do something. Yeah, right. So that's kind of like what I'm doing now. I've started I started thinking about maybe getting back into comedy. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just work at Flappers, like Flappers in Burbank. I was like, maybe I could figure out a way to just work there. What what could I do? And I went there to apply and I met the owner, Barbara Holiday, and she's great. And she was she was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I just want to work here. I don't know. And she goes, well, I, I know exactly what we can put you in. And that's why I'm helping out with classes. Oh, that's great. They have like 180 people taking wow. classes at Flappers. Like stand-up classes? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it's people from all walks of life. They all come, you know, they can be doctors, they can be whatever, and, and they might not even want to do stand-up. They just want to get more comfortable with joking and kidding around yeah. and how to how to make a joke, or maybe they enjoy it yeah. and they just want to learn about it. Like a hobby. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really fun. That's so, so fun. But are you, uh, did I read that you are a grief counselor? Yes. Yes. So that, that's a whole nother. Yeah. So, so after we split, Steve and I split a couple of years after I started dating a man who I met through my church. And so we dated, we were together for seven years. That's a long time. And yeah, he was a wonderful person. He was an editor. He did, um, he was an editor for, um, Drew Carey show. And, you know, uh, he was, had a well, um, a career in editing. And he also had a substance abuse issue, mm-hmm. which he fought, he really battled with. And he was kind of your 
he was your classic person who was able to really white knuckle it, like really able to work, Mm -hmm. get up, go to work, do all the things. And his friends like loved it because they could come into town and party with him. And they knew I was like, oh, he's living the dream. You know, he's able to handle it and everything else. But of course, it was this coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so as he got older, it was harder for him to do it and Mm -hmm. to 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 do it. So we were together. I, I he was just such a really interesting person. So much fun. Talk about curious. He was like one of the most curious people I've ever met. And I always thought I was curious. He's like the most curious. He was the most curious. He would you go down the rabbit hole on something and it was just it was so funny. And you had to live it for like two or three years. <laughs> so so when I was um, I told him that when we were broke, when I was working on my crazy jobs and everything, I sold my saxophone. I played saxophone when I was in high school. I sold my saxophone for the rent or something. I told him the story. And he was just hated that story. So on my birthday, he bought me a saxophone. Aww. So then he said, so then I started, I started playing in the Birdman community band because I was like, well, I guess I have to play again. So then he bought an alto saxophone. He's like, I'm going to play alto. We're going to play saxophone together. So we would just pl- learn and got better and better. And we started playing saxophone together. And we were playing in the band. We were like hanging out playing. We'd play with CDs now. They have CDs you can play with. It was super fun. So then he decided he was like, I- I'm, I'm going to be sober. So he was like, I'm going to go sober. I'm going to drop everything because it was starting to affect him. It was definitely starting to like creep in and affect him. So he was, he was sober for a good two years. Mm-hmm. And then he got it in his head that he was going to leave editing and beca- and open a coffee shop. And he went down that rabbit hole of that coffee shop. He spent a lot of money and it's very difficult to start a business. Here. Yes. It is. And he spent way too much money in the in designing it. And it was right down on the end of Tahunga. So, you know, Roma Cafe mm-hmm. and then down to the end. Yeah, he said it, he it, and it went in that shopping area. Mm-hmm. And he just he just he just it had to be this. And then they had to change it and it cost him so much money and he tapped into his savings. And so he started drinking mm. And everything started going like unraveling. Mm. And I look back on it now and I realize he just really had no coping mechanism. And what's interesting, too, is that people really encourage you to do things like that. Like he had all the encouragement in the world. You should definitely do this coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is I think it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And he only had one friend of his who owned a restaurant that said, don't do it because it's going to eat you alive. You're never going to have vacation again. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah. Or start small. Yeah. And he just didn't. He just wanted it to be big. He wanted it to be fancy. and wanted it to be gorgeous. And it was. It was all those things. But after the opening, so he was really going downhill. And I said to him, look, the opening's coming up on the 14th of February. I will be with you for five days. But after that opening, the next day, we're going in and you're going into a, is some sort of rehab or something. You're you're gonna, you know. And of course I'm telling the story shortened. It's a long story. But anyway, so I so we got so we did that. That next day we went, he had motion pictures, he had all the fancy insurance. We went in there and he looked great. He was all showered. He looked great. And the doctor was like, what's going on? And he said, I'm, you know, I'm at my wits end. I'm 
I'm, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm having all this anxiety. I'm falling apart. He was having all these panic attacks. And the doctor goes, well, you look good. He goes, what's going on? He goes, well, I just opened a coffee shop. And he goes, oh, that's why. So he prescribed to me. He'd already been on Xanax. He was already on Ambien. He was already misusing those. He was drinking. Oh, no. He was just all that stuff. And the doctor prescribed him lithium. Oh, Lord. So I'm like, should he be on that? Because he's on all these other things. And the doctor goes, oh, it takes, it's going to take a few weeks for it to even kick in. I'm like, okay, out we go. So we talked to him for 10 minutes. Out we go. So we go to the social worker and we talk to the social worker and the social worker says, and I said, he needs to go in somewhere. We, he needs to go in somewhere. So the social worker goes, okay. So they found him a 30-day program. He was going to go in the next day, 9 a.m. And they were like, he, you know, I said, well, can't we go now? I'd rather we just go now. And they go, no, we did the paperwork. We got to do all this stuff. Don't worry. He's good. He's good. He's with you. He brought you. That's, that's a good sign. I was like, okay, okay. So we went home. The next day was when he was going in. And the next morning he took his life. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I found him. And... It was the worst, obviously, it's a horrible thing, but it was by far the worst thing that had ever happened to me in my life, like by far. Mm -hmm. Like I had never had anything. I had had friends of mine who had had cancer, had had things that, that didn't, they didn't die. I still had my parents. I never had, like it, it just was. Did he overdose? And no, he, he, by hanging. Oh my God. Yep. Oh my God. I know it was bless his heart. Well, and, and that's bless your the heart. thing. And that was the thing was that it was he was in crisis. He was in crisis. Yeah. His brain broke. Aww. His brain just broke because he had had and he and the night before he had had a panic attack. And I remember and he had taken an Ambien and he finally calmed down. And I remember thinking to myself, I should have called 911 then. But the truth is they really don't have anything for you. Like. Mm -hmm. It's a 72 hour hold. It's really so that you can sleep because in 72 hours they let him out. Mm -hmm. And he knew that because he had been through stuff with his brother. So mm -hmm. it was it was a long complex it's a long complicated story. But for me it was like I all of a sudden I became a I was a suicide loss survivor. Like all of a sudden I was that person I remember my father telling a story about his cousin's husband. You know, it was like there was always a story about somebody taking their life. Never thought in a million years anybody I knew, anybody I knew that I even had not power over, but I had influence over that I I would never allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. How could that even happen? I thought it was doing all the right things. It doesn't work like that. And it just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. And he... He just, it just was all too much. Mm -hmm. It was all too much. And, you know, he reminded me a lot of Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. And after mm -hmm. John died, I remember looking at Anthony Bourdain going, he's not happy. There's something in his eye. Mm -hmm. And I remember, th never thought that before until after John died. And then so that when he took his life, I wasn't really surprised mm -hmm. because John was so similar to him. He just, he he it was in, he was insatiable you know he rode motorcycles he played the guitar he played the saxophone he had so many interests he he never he was always busy and i realized he was because he was never 
He was never at peace. Right. Never comfortable. Yeah. But you don't know that until you like you see it and then you realize it. Mm -hmm. So now this happened all before the stuff happened with the kids. So I thought, well, at least my kids were okay, And my kids knew him. But towards the end in that last year, the the whole coffee shop thing, I kind of kept them separate from him just because he was just everything was just so chaotic. And so I. So they were devastated. There was he had children who were in their 20s and he had an ex-wife who was the first person I called who came because I was so worried about his kids. Yeah. And so it it was just one of those things. We had 450 people at the memorial service mm. five days later. Wow. And everyone was shell shocked. Nobody yeah. could believe it. And I went into this grief journey thing and I, I never, ever had, I never grieved. So I slept for like two weeks and then I was like, well, okay, now I got to get back to, I got to get back to my life. And it was just, why am I not being able to get back to my life? Mm. Like, why is this so hard? And everybody was amazing and everybody came out and it was amazing. The things that people thought to do for me Mm. was amazing. Mm. Just just the things that they just thought like were, were thoughtful. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, from from simple like, hey, you want to go for a walk? You don't even have to talk. We're going to go for a walk. I'm going to come by, pick you up and take you for a walk. From that to, um, to just taking me places or taking me out or listening or just. Um, People drop off food. Just drop off food. Yeah, the food. Well, the food was oh, yeah, it was overwhelming. My mom was living with me at the time, and my mother couldn't handle the food. I had to stop it because it was just overwhelming my mother. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything overwhelms my mother. But anyway, but um, anyway, it was just I don't know. It was just like just all of the things that people thought of. But what happens is is that you get that whole big wave at the time, and then it all starts dropping off, and you're. You're in or just taking me to the movies or just it would just be like these people would say, hey, um, I'm going to come by and get you or I'm going to do this. And it was just amazing. And I have like several mommy groups, you know, because I have the mommy group from Jeff's class and then Matt's kind of in that group. And then I have a you know, few people from Luke and then I have a people from Ian. So Marion's one of them, you know, from yes. Ian's group. So it was just amazing, like all the people and how thoughtful they were. And I just. So I did all, so I, I, I called Dee Dee Hirsch and I, I lined up therapy. I lined up a grief group because I knew I had to do all those things. Dee Dee Hirsch is an amazing resource. And so I went through all the things and I thought I was okay. And the year passed. And then the second year was like, oh, it's really hard. The second year was hard. Okay. Third year will be better. Oh, third year was actually harder in different ways. But third year is when you start going, you're like trying to find meaning. Now you're starting to like find meaning in life mm-hmm. and you go into like a whole. So I went down all these rabbit holes of trying to understand my faith, Christianity, my understanding how the world works, how how suffering is so much part of life mm-hmm. and how you have to embrace that and all those things. Maybe happiness isn't a good goal. Meaning, maybe finding meaning is a good goal how important sacrifice is like all these these concepts i started like playing with and i but but i i went away from that i thought to myself well i'm not gonna 
I don't need to get into the whole grief thing. Like I'm gonna, I'm done now. I'm I'm done kind of being sad. And then it would, as one of my friends said, like in the middle of the night, it comes out from under the bed and looks at you and goes, still here, just letting you know, you know. (laughs) In case you're wondering. Still here. (laughs) So I think, so what happened was, was that I was trying to figure out, like, I started getting phone calls. Then people would call me. Um, my, My friend's son took his life. My friend's husband my my da 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 this and that and they call me what do I do I don't know what to do what can I do thing and so I started saying oh well, I, well this is what I would suggest and this was it. and I would kind of like talk to them for an hour and I would just forget where I was because I really wanted to listen I really want help and I've always found and I think you and I share this I've always found people fascinating mm-hmm. there's very few people that I ever find boring mm-hmm. I always find everybody fascinating same like where they came from how they got here, what the decisions they made, how did this how did this work out? Mm-hmm. And I definitely have a faith and a spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel like all these things all interconnect for a reason. So I was like, I need to do something with this, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I started a blog. So I was writing. I went down the, so it's funny, my friends teased me because I Saw the Bee Gees documentary, and then I went down. Which is amazing. I loved it. Amazing. And so I got to the end of that, and I, so I was on this whole journey of, like, life and everything. I got to the end of it, and Barry Gibbs, like, you know, I would rather have all the, my brothers back and no hits at all. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, looking at him, and I was thinking, now, I grew up in that time. Mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine who was madly in love with him. Like, I I grew up in that time, right? And I was a Billy Joel fan, but I love the Bee Gees. I used to sneak out and go disco dancing when I was 15. How funny. I loved all that stuff, right? So I was, like, whatever happened to him? Oh, I remember him. He was stunning. And you look at the the documentary, and you were, like, oh, yeah, that's right. He was stunning. And I used to say to my friend, I can't look at him too long. It's like looking in the sun. I can't look at him too long. (laughs) And... And so I was like, was he all by himself? Like at the end of the movie, it was like, is he all by himself? And so I did did the research. He's been married for 52 years. Yeah. To the same woman. Yeah. He's five children. And he has like eight grandchildren. And they all live within a mile of wow. him in Miami. Wow. So here's this whole, we've had this whole conversation about having children. You've, at our age now, you know what he did. Mm-hmm. To do that. And she did. Like, we know what she did and what he did to keep his kids to live within a mile of him. Yeah. And you also know that he didn't cheat on her. Yeah. Because she could have left him and gotten all the money. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. So obviously they have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. They have one of those relationships, yeah. you know, where they finish each other's sentences, da, da, da. So then I was like, read more about it. He's really responsible for the whole reason why that whole group, his brothers, have passed away. They're all cousins are super tight. Mm-hmm. All those families are all taken care of. There were never any arguments about copyright. Mm-hmm. Everybody got equal shares. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's including Andy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this guy's kind of amazing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start writing a blog. So I'm going to write a blog because I do this. I go down the rabbit hole. I get fixated on people. I'm going to write a blog. So I started writing a blog and I wrote blog. I was working blogs and blogs. And then I I was, a, a friend of mine write blogs and she goes, send me your blog. I'm going to do a thing on the on my blog. I'm going to highlight yours. So I said, okay. So I sent her, I'd written one about James Taylor and Beethoven and how they're very similar. 
And so I said, that was a good one. People like that one. I'll send it to her. And on the Bee Gees one, I ended up tapping into the Bee Gees fan world. And like a lot of people read it. So wow. it was fun. Yeah. That's so that cool. Was, so that was cool. So yeah, the Bee Gees fans are, they're very, mi- they're mighty. And they're, they're all over the world. That's <laughs> they're mighty. Awesome. It was like all of a sudden you see the analytics and it was really funny. Yeah. So then I go, um, and so I sent it to her. So she sent it back to me and this was fine. But she sent it back to me. She says, oh my gosh. She goes, you know what? Not for my blog. It's too dark. For the James Taylor Beethoven one. And I was like, I said too dark. And I reread it. And I was like, oh, well, because James Taylor contemplated suicide and so did Beethoven. And they both didn't. And all their greatest work came after mm. the fact they didn't. And that was my point of my. So I thought it was uplifting. Yeah. But she thought it was dark. Huh. That's fine. Because some people like it's I understand that. And all of a sudden I realized that I had been fighting. That I'm a suicide loss survivor. Mm. Like I I had stopped really writing in my blog. I had stopped because I think I kept thinking I was going too dark. Mm. And I realized I can't escape it. Right. It, it That's part of me. Yeah. So then I get and, in. And that it is dark. And it's dark. And yeah. it is dark. Yeah. And it's a real thing. It's sad and it's and happening. Heavy. Yeah. And it's happening. Yeah. You know, it's happening in our world right now. It, it right now, especially. Yeah. And I don't know anybody who, who isn't on some level a suicide survivor. It's true. Yes. I I don't know anybody. I mean, I have two in my adult life and one in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my husband has uh, like three or four guys from his fraternity. We all deal with it. And it is fucking terrible. Yeah. It leaves you with question after question and doubting yourself and blaming yourself and guilt and sorrow and uh it just in some ways i think it is far worse than someone just dying mm-hmm. you know just illness or just he he just didn't wake up it's a completely different deal because it's a choice right it, it is looks to us right like a exactly. choice yeah and also too i think there's an extra layer of it where you don't want it's hard for you to go on because you you think that they thought that life would be better without them. Mm. And so if your life moves on, you don't want them to be right. You're proving them right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Make and sense, I yeah. think that really holds back on the on the grief journey mm. because you really are now you're wrestling with this. Whereas if you lost somebody to an illness, they would be like, I want you to go on. I'll be with you, all that. And you would. And it kind of falls into a nature thing where it's like it's nature. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people die from illness and it just this that big question that we all have. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's suicide, you you're like they thought that life would be better or they thought this. And now if I recover, then I'm proving them right. Right. And it it's it's a it's a really messed up thing. Plus the stigma, plus the stigma, and also where people don't want to be around you because you're you remind them of something really sad and tragic. Mm. So you do lose friends. So I had a lot of people did wonderful things, but then there were a lot of people that dropped off. Wow. And I think it was be and I don't and I have compassion. I really do. 
But I do think there's a little bit about it where it's just too much, right. you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of when people are grieving, I do think loved ones tend to go, you need to get better. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, you need to snap out of this. You need to get better. And I don't know if it's necessarily they're saying that to the person or is it because they just don't want to be around. It's a drag, you know, it's kind of like you're sad. You need to get happier. Well, well you that know? and you don't want the other person to suffer. Who goes, yeah, you keep suffering. Right. That's it's fine. true. It's true. You, know, you want someone to feel better for themselves. Right. And for you. But, you know, both. Maybe it's both and. Yeah. You know, it's that you don't want to right. see anybody suffering. You don't want to see anybody grieving. And, and grieving is natural part of life. I think we have to restructure the way we think about suicide as it's the same as dying from illness. Yes. It's the exact same. It's stage four mental illness. It is or sta- stage five or whatever. Perfect way of putting it. Yeah. It's it's terminal. It's their mental illness was terminal. Yes. And it's terrible. Um, it's just terrible. Um, so did you start So what happened was was I was going through all this stuff thinking, I think I need to embrace this. I think how do I get involved? And then I got an email from David Kessler saying the grief educator course. Now I'm on an email blast from him. So I don't know if you know who David Kessler is, no. but he's, a, he's actually fairly well known in the grief world. Mm. Um, very well known. And he co-wrote with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, The mm. Grief and Dying and Five Stages of Grief. He co-wrote that with her. He's written a lot of books. What is the ironic thing? He was a dad when my son Jeff was in school. No way. Yep. How crazy. So that was how many years ago? 25 years ago. Wow. So I was the room mom of the class. No. And so I got to know him really well. Yeah. And I was, and he was, he adopted his children. And so he was kind of a new dad. And it was, it was like, I, it was, email was brand new. So I was emailing all the parents and they all thought that was the greatest thing. And everybody knew what was going on because I was emailing, you know, and so it was like this great, and we had a great class and you know how that is. Yeah. You get to know everybody. Yeah. You go to all the birthday parties, you know, everybody. Yeah. So I got to know him really, you know, pretty well. And then his second son, he had two sons, was also in Matt's class. So I knew him through. I would run into him here and there at different things and different events. We were like, oh, hey. Then we, when Facebook started, we we're friends on Facebook. So I, I'm not like close friends with him, but I know him. he knows yeah. me. I know him. So when I got that email, I went, grief educator course. What is this? So I messaged him and I talked to him during COVID because he started up grief.com because he knew that everyone was locked in yeah. and they needed to talk to people. So yeah. he set up this whole online grief group. So... I was like, I think I want to do this grief educator course. You know, I think, is this a way, is this actually a career? Could I do this as a career? So sure enough, we had a whole, he did a whole Q&A about it. And I was like, oh, so it's, there's this thing where it's peer-to-peer grief support Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't want to talk to somebody who doesn't understand what they're going through. Right. And they literally want to talk to somebody who uh, understands. Right. So- since since John's death, my father died in 2018. He was 92, but it was complicated because he was with his my stepmother and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And it was like a complicated scenario. So there was grief attached to that of what could have been, you know. Right. And then um, and then my ex-husband, Steve, passed away in 2020, the father wow. of my children. What a whammy. 
Yeah. One, so two, all three. of a sudden, somebody who'd never had any yeah. now it was like, boom, boom, boom. Three of the most important men in my life. Yeah. So I was like, I think I'm going to take this course. So I took the course and I just finished it in January. Did you really? And I already have clients. I'm sure. Because I'm sure I and it's and so what I offer is I offer like a 45 minute. Tell me your story. And then, um, you know, roughly 45 minutes. And then I have all the resources. So if you want to go to Dee Dee Hirsch, you want to go to. What's Dee Dee Hirsch? Uh, um, it's a it's a mental health organization. They're uh, they're here locally okay. and they're great for um, if anyone is. Uh, for for suicide prevention mm -hmm. and also so if you have anyone who is struggling they have all the resources there they have therapists they have all the resources there then also too for people who are suicide survivors they have all the grief groups and they also have lists of different therapists because see there's different there are therapists that are grief there are therapists that do grief and ptsd mm. for those who found the person because mm -hmm. that's a whole other level I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Did so you I have went, PTSD? Yep. So I went to a therapist for PTSD. Yeah. Yep. Bert had PTSD from working on the Travel Channel. It's a really complicated yes. um, mental illness moment. Mm -hmm. It's extremely complicated. Yes. I wonder what did it look like for you? Because I know what it looked like for Bert. What behaviors were happening. In the, Bert was acting so illogically about things that I was like, we've had maybe a, a mental, there's some kind of break happening mm, here. Mm -hmm. like he was arguing with me about like baiting a hook when our kids were fishing. And that, that issue was a level 11 that, and I was like, I'm just fucking putting a worm on a hook, dude. It ain't that deep, but right. it's real deep for you. Something's yes wrong yeah um so stuff like that was happening for him but his was because he was at the travel channel and he was like falling off waterfalls and he thought he was going to die every couple of days and so obviously it's nothing like being in war but his emotional response to these dangerous situations was similar mm -hmm. and it caused him ptsd mm -hmm. diagnosed treated yep had it right what does that look like from finding someone how does that um, how does that manifest in behavior? Yeah, it I I think there was that there was anger issues. There was definitely okay. transference of anger un uh, irrational. Right. Like I said, this all happened just before my my going to therapy with the kids. So okay. I think that may have triggered a lot of that Got for it. them. Because maybe I already showed tendencies of doing that when I was stressful. Mm -hmm. But now that it was like compounded, you couldn't really now I couldn't I couldn't control. Right. And so I'd really lose did. my temper. Um, also, too, my confidence was I, 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 I was no no confidence in anything. I started worrying about everything, worried that something bad was going to happen, worrying that uh, irrational worries about things that were going to happen. Okay. Like to my kids, because something bad was going to happen because it blindsided me. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, he talked about it. He talked about it. So he it wasn't did. like I didn't know it was a possibility, but I was so convinced that I had the power that I was going to put him in this 30 day thing and he was going to be okay. Yeah. And that we were going to work through this. I was so confident and it just cut that at the, cut me at the knees. But your instinct was right though. Cause you kept saying, can't you take him now? Can't oh, I was. Yeah. Now? Yep. So that wasn't an accident. Yeah. That wasn't an accident. 
that you kept saying, no, 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 now. Yeah, no, no, and now. these are professionals yeah. telling me. He's fine. He's fine. And That's you know thing. him better than they do. They should have listened to you. Yeah, but they were like, no, he's okay. I was going to drive up there and sit in the waiting room and have them take him. Just stay there. And they, they just thought him. I was crazy. Wow. And I just. That would make me so angry. Yeah. That would make me so Oh, there's so levels angry. of. Blame. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Fury. It's, oh, yeah. You go through all of it. Oh, yeah. And then, but somebody told me, which I thought it was funny. It was an Arbonne trainer. It was funny <laughs> that I talked to him and he was great. He said to me, keep your head above water because he had had his own experience. That was the other thing. You find out all these people come up to you in the fog mm -hmm. and they say, talk to me when you're ready. Mm. I know what you're going through. Mm. And you're like, really? I had no idea. That's powerful. I had no idea. But their father. Yeah. They're, you know, they all, they're a child. They're this, themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I would have never known. Yeah. So he said to me, this guy told me, he said, if you just keep your head above water, just keep your head above water. Your, some of your an questions, answers to some of your questions will happen. Just stick with it. Some, not all of them, but you'll be able to live with the other ones. But you will start getting answers to some of your questions if you just like keep your head above water and look for them. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I would be listening to some podcasts and somebody would talk about putting somebody in a 30-day thing. And then right after they walked out of that 30-day thing, they took their life. Mm -hmm. Or putting them in a 72-hour hold and right after they took their life. Mm -hmm. Or it was like all these different scenarios of things I thought if I had just done that and the person ended up doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it so the thing that's really complicated about dealing with suicide is that when they're when they th have suicidal thoughts, you're throwing everything at them. Mm -hmm. Like you're reading everything, you're trying to do everything, you're trying to listen, you're trying to do all those things because you think you can do something, and you should do all those things. And when people are talking to somebody who's thinking about, you want to try all those things, all of them. But as soon as it happens, all of a sudden, everybody tells you, well, you couldn't have done anything. Right. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I was <laughs> I thought there were all these things I should do. Yeah. And it's like, well, the, you try those things. Yes. But at some point, you know, and the policeman said on the scene, one of the policemen said that really stuck with me, as he said. He was a 61 year old man who made a decision. Mm. And it was harsh at the time. But that stuck with me like through the whole thing. And then another one actually looked at me and said, I'm a man of faith and God's going to walk with you every step of the way. Wow. And that I still think sometimes that cop might have been an angel, I swear, because right. it was really surreal that moment. But I remember just thinking to myself, OK, I, OK, you're right. Like, so every time I would go into irrational world. And my head would spin or I'd get up in the middle of the night and I would go, did we all check that he was dead? Like I got up in the middle of the night, I'd have nightmares. I wake up in the morning, I wake up in the middle of the night and go, did we check that he was really dead? Did we really check that he was really dead? Like it was the craziest thing. And I had to say to myself, yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd have all these crazy things. I would pull myself back and go, he was a 61 year old man who made the decision. You know, it was like. At some point, you just don't have the kind of power over somebody else's life. You just don't. And I wish I could have gone in and rewired his brain mm. so that he handled everything differently. But I didn't have that kind of power. And he wouldn't have been John. 
Exactly. He wouldn't have played the guitar and the alto sax, and he wouldn't have lit all these beautiful things. He wouldn't be the same. And you know what's funny, too, was that he gave me a million cards. He would give me cards all the time, cards, cards, and he always wanted people to take pictures of us when we were traveling or doing anything. He spoiled me rotten Mm -hmm. because I had gone through this wave of never being able to go anywhere, and then he spoiled me rotten. He'd take me places, take me to Lake Tahoe, take me skiing. I remember he said, let's get a massage. And I was like, okay. He goes, when was the last time you had a massage? And I was like, 1986. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? That's insane. I was like, I I just, I'm a mom. I don't get, a, I'm too busy. You yeah. know, I got too much going on. And so he was just, would spoil me rotten and give me all these cards. And I have this box, this beautiful box, just filled with all his cards. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, that's why he gave me so many cards was because I wasn't going to have them that long. And now I have all these cards. Right. Like to everything was so larger than life that I was like, it kind of kept me, you know, longer. Yeah. It's just it's real. It's really. Yeah, it's really interesting. But it's true. It's like, yeah, if I could have changed that, well, then I would have loved to have gone back when he was 14. Mm-hmm. And his father would, you know, drink a jug of wine every night. And I and I wish I could go back and fix that. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a million things. So it's like you start thinking to yourself, is that what caused it? It's like it, it was a hundred, it was thousands of things. No, the thing is, I think about at least my experience of the two adult friends who died by suicide is you what just, were their names? What were their names? Croy, mm-hmm. <laughs> Croy was uh, in our wedding, and he he took his life. Um, and we he was the first person that um, I knew as an adult that took that took their life. And um, we just felt so terrible and so guilty. He's you know single guy, and we didn't reach out enough. We didn't invite him over enough. We didn't you know uh, we we just didn't do enough and. You know, he had called Bert. He's Bert's friend um, from high school. And he'd called Bert a couple weeks before and said, hey, man, I need to talk to you. And Bert was super slammed and very busy and just didn't call him back. He didn't get a chance. And Bert has just killed himself over that. Um, But I'm in therapy, been in therapy a long time. And my therapist said, if they want to do it, there's nothing you could have done. That phone call would have done nothing except mm-hmm. relieve Bert of feeling bad about not calling back. But it wouldn't have done anything for Croy. It just wouldn't have. It's what he chose to do, like your police officer said. And she said, you just have to surrender to that. Yep. And the surrendering to that, surrendered in my spiritual vocabulary, that word means a lot to me. Because surrendering to higher power, then it relieves you of a lot of stress if you just surrender and go, this is not about me. This is about whatever that higher power had as a plan. Mm -hmm. And so if I doubt that, if I, you know, shake my fist why at that, then I'm really doubting that higher power. And I choose not to do that. Right. I choose to surrender and say, this was... Croy's path for whatever reason. And that's not even my place to know. So when the second suicide came in, it was a little easier. Um, his name was Jordan. And he was a friend of mine. I was in acting class for a little bit. He was a friend of mine from acting class and was just one of the kindest, funnest, sweetest, genuine, 
lovely human beings. And um, he had something tragic happen in his life that he blamed himself for that on paper was it was a terrible accident that he was driving a car and someone else died. It was not his fault, but he caused the accident. He was being careless. He was being reckless, but he wasn't being intentional about it. And someone died Mm -hmm. and he just couldn't recover. Mm -hmm. He couldn't recover. And he wrote a a letter and post and and posted it on Facebook before. And when you read the letter, um, it, it was a surrender for him to let go. He couldn't, he couldn't get past it on this planet. Mm -hmm. And he was in therapy in the letter. He was like, these are the things I've done to try to get past this. Nothing is working. And I'm tired. Right. I'm so tired. Right. And it broke my heart to feel like he couldn't also find that surrender to say, I didn't mean for this to happen. This was this person's path. Unfortunately, I was driving the car. Um, and, and this is my himself. path and forgive himself and surrender to yeah. that being his path. He couldn't do that. So when he died, I wasn't surprised. Um, I was heartbroken. I felt mm-hmm. terrible. Um, I fe- my heart went, it hurt for him that he couldn't forgive himself. Yes. That's what hurt. Yes. Was that it's not bless his little heart. You know, it just broke my heart to think this guy spent every day the rest of his life just carrying that load mm-hmm. and it just wasn't his fault you know it just didn't anyway when that one came in i accepted it immediately and and i just totally understood that i i understood that i would never make that choice but from the way he presented in his letter i understood why he made it mm-hmm. and i accepted it that he's a grown man who made many efforts and couldn't get it right. Just couldn't do it. He couldn't yep. do it. And so I wouldn't want to live with that kind of torture. Mm-hmm. It sounded like torture. It is. It's absolute pain. It's not selfishness. And people think sometimes they think it's selfishness. It's pain. It's absolute unadulterated. I saw it in John. He was, it was, he was in pain. It's torture. Yeah. And it's I remember terrible. the night before when he had his panic attack and he was coming, he took the Ambien and he was starting to calm down. I was like, you know, holding him from behind. And I just said to him, I just said to him, I love you. You know, we all love you. You're going to get better. We all love you. And I remember in the head, in my head, I was thinking, he's like, it's almost like he's terminally ill. Like I, I started kind of understanding like what it was with somebody who was just really ill, mm-hmm. you know, and he was just absolutely struggling Yeah, with this. And it's interesting when you were saying that about higher power, I've come to point in my own faith of God is that I feel like God allows and permits. And I don't think he He controls our things that happen. Mm-hmm. But when a, a situation is presented, he decides whether he's going to allow, he's going to allow us to stay on this planet and suffer more because there's a lot of suffering. It's a struggle mm-hmm. or give them peace. Freedom. And that's the God's decision. We'll say, why did God take this person from us? Yeah. We're sad they're gone. Yeah. But he 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 ends this struggle mm-hmm. of the peace. But what's hard about that coming to that conclusion, especially when you're dealing with people who are contemplating it, is that you don't want to encourage them to do it. No, of course not. So it's this odd juxtaposition, which I think that's why suicide loss survivors aren't real talkative about it, mm-hmm. because it's this... 
or people don't want to hear about it because it's afraid that it'll. And I think that's why in in history it was a sin mm -hmm. because certain cultures didn't know what to do. They were like, how do we get it so that people don't feel like this is a way out? Right. So I think the more the suicide loss survivors speak up mm -hmm. about how painful it is to get over it, mm -hmm. then we, I think that that ha have more of a saying. It's like, no, it. I would much rather deal with whatever you're going through then suffer from the pain of losing you. Yeah. So you're no burden. Right. You're not a burden. Right. It's, it, it'll be every walk, every step of the way. Mm -hmm. I'll be there with you working through this. Mm -hmm. That I would much rather do than suffer the loss of your being gone. Yeah. That's far worse. Yeah. And totally. if we can kind of explain that, you know, so that people can see that we everyone doesn't just get better. No, it it throws a, uh, it's like a cannonball right through your life. Mm -hmm. And it just shows how. How life is like that. It's like, that's why you go to bed at night and you go, uh, nothing happened today. I'm yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah. You know, talk about getting the gratitude. Yeah. Because this life is a and the older you get, the more you realize, wow, today was a was a good day. Really grateful. Yes. Really grateful. Yes, I start every day with thank yous. Yep. And I end every night with the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not, I don't go to church. I'm not, I mean, I grew up in Baptist church, but I'm not religious today. I'm not a practicing anything. Mm -hmm. But the Lord's Prayer, for whatever reason, is the one thing that for me keeps me connected to the spirit in the sky. Mm -hmm. And the words of that prayer are saying thank you and I'm honoring this relationship you yes. know, that I have with you and that you have with me and that I have with other human beings. Mm -hmm. um, such a good tie. I wonder sometimes if that lack of faith, faith for lack of a better word, that lack of connection to that higher power is what keeps you in pain. Yeah. You know, keeps people in pain and keeps people in bad cycles. Mm -hmm. and uh, making bad choices and a lack of connection to that higher power, whatever that is for whoever, yeah. Buddha, whatever, I don't care. But the, I believe there is something bigger and I surrender to that all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of freedom in that. So if you stay in this kind of congested, negative dysfunction, there's no way you've surrendered to that because God just wouldn't let you stay there. Right. You know, it wouldn't let you stay there. You'll get relief. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was that was what I wrote when I was reading about Beethoven. Beethoven wrote this big, long letter to his brothers about how he was going deaf. So he figured his gift that God had given him was was he had already done it because why would God make him deaf? Yeah. So he was like, I'm I, why should I live? And he wrote this long letter and never sent it, never gave it to anybody. They found it in his papers. But it was. 20 years before he died, because at some point in his life, he realized he and he wrote he wrote about it later that he he well, I'm still here. So then I guess I'm supposed to still do still write things. I'm supposed to still do it, even though I'm deaf. Yeah. And, you know, that that symphony with, uh, um, you know, Ode to Joy. Yes, that's the ninth symphony. He that's the most played symphony in the world. And did you write it when he was and deaf? And he wrote it after. Yeah. How about that? It was one of the last ones he wrote. He was deaf. 
the audience waved their handkerchiefs because they all knew he was deaf, even though he was conducting. And he was deaf and he wrote that. Wow. And it's the most played symphony in the world. Wow. And it's Ode to Joy. And it's about saying to God, well, okay, use me for who you, you surrender. know. Surrender. Exactly. Yeah, it's all about surrender. That's a powerful story. Yeah. And if he had taken his life, We'd something, never have that. Like that, something like that probably would have eventually been written by maybe somebody else. But obviously, and that was the same thing with James Taylor. James Taylor wrote Fire and Rain over a friend of his who had she had, had taken her life and he they, his family didn't tell him because he was over at Apple. He had gotten the contract with Apple with the, Be you know, the Beatles yeah. label. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal for him. Yeah. And he was a very he had already had his mental crisis. He's he had already been struggling. And so the family was like, this is a good thing. We're not going to ruin it by telling him about his friend. And then they told him. And then that's where Fire and Rain came from. Mm. And if you read the and and so I compared the letter that Beethoven had written to Fire and Rain, and it's all it's almost very similar. It's kind of like, well, this is this horrible thing that happened. Well, how do I figure out how do I move forward? How do I get through this? Why is it worth it for me? And if it if he hadn't have done that, his whole career, Fire and Rain was one of his first songs, yeah, really. Yeah, it was. I mean, his whole career, we wouldn't have had any of it. Right. And so that's a thing to, you know, and it doesn't mean that you have to be famous, no. but it just shows that there's so much more that you have. But this is a, this is a, a thing that people get to these crises, you know, in war. They don't like to talk about it, but there are a lot of soldiers that will take their lives. Or, yeah, totally. Or create ways during the Holocaust. There were ways that people figured out a way to take their life because they couldn't handle it anymore. We understand that, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's understandable, but it's still, it's interesting how there are other people that go, no, I'm, I, I think I'm supposed to be here and I'm just going to play it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, and so trying to make sure that people understand that it get, you know, that we say it all the time, it gets better, but I mean, it does. It does. It does. It does. It does get better. It's, yeah, it's just that faith, man. Gotta have faith. Mental illness, though, is so complicated. I don't think we even sort of begin to understand what it's about. For someone especially like John who had uh, anxiety like that, Bert has anxiety not like that, but Georgia has this kind of anxiety where Georgia has had what I call, I don't know if this is the right term, but I call it like a chemical panic attack where nothing has triggered it. She's just all of a sudden waking up in the middle of the night. This is my last day on earth, shaking, heart pounding breathing mm. fast mm -hmm. where you go this is a this is not a, this isn't something in her brain that happened this is like some kind of chemical right a, a girl didn't say something mean to her at school to mm -hmm. cause this this woke her up in the middle of the night while she was asleep so maybe she had a nightmare but what she's talking about is so nonsensical this is a chemical panic attack mm -hmm. and this is something that needs to be addressed this is mm -hmm. like a medical problem right it's just like having asthma Right. You, know, you get run into some pollen, you have an asthma attack. Yeah. Sometimes something triggers that mental health piece that's not seen. Mm -hmm. And that's a, I, we don't understand how to deal with that as a society. Well, they're homeless people. Half of them have these problems, I'm sure. Oh, we don't absolutely. Know how to deal with that either. Yeah. So I don't know. It's so hard to have someone in your life that struggles like that. 
it's really heartbreaking to feel so helpless and yeah. you know that you can't do anything. No, he got to the point where he was roasting his own coffee. That was what his thing was, was that he had gone down. He had learned everything he could possibly bought this fancy roaster. He was roasting it himself. It was delicious. Yeah. And his daughter kept the shop open for a good three years oh, after. Wow. And it was the coffee was delicious. He got to the point where that he thought the coffee tasted horrible. You could not talk him out of it. Oh, wow. He thought everybody was placating him. And saying that it tasted good. And he was like, it's horrible. I can tell it's horrible. He started not liking certain movies that he had always loved. Mm. It was it was like you could see there was this. He wasn't himself. It was like a deterioration. Yeah, it was there was there was misfiring. It was just it was like he was not himself. Right. And so, yes, definitely there's and we don't know. We we haven't even scratched the surface. And what's hard, there's also the National for anyone National Association of Mental Illness, NAMI, and they're really a wonderful organization. And a lot of people don't know about them. I've never so heard of it. So when I have friends of mine who will reach out to me or if they have like a, a one of their ch children in crisis, they have a wonderful resources there to help for parents and how to get custodianship. Because, you know, with HIPAA, once your child's 18, then you there you can't do anything unless yeah. they sign paperwork. So NAMI can help with all of that to get conservatorship to be able to so that the parents can make decisions. I talked to somebody who that's why I'm saying it's like all these people started like sharing me these stories. I talked to somebody whose daughter literally lived under a, a bridge, the mm. homeless under a bridge for like a year mm. and they couldn't get to her because of HIPAA. Right. So they hired somebody to be a good Samaritan and bring her things to make check in and make sure she was OK because she was um, paranoid schizophrenic. So she didn't want to see her parents. Right. So this good Samaritan they hired would go and bring her and bring her stuff and bring her stuff. Finally talked her out from under the bridge to get help. Then the parents were reunited with her. It took a year. Wow. It took a year to Could get her out, out from under the bridge. I can't even imagine sleeping at night knowing my child was under a bridge. No. But see, because of the laws. So a lot of times people will say, well, with these homeless people, why can't their families take care of them? They, they legally can't. Yeah. If they say, no, I don't want your help, the doctors will not help them. No. For you, you have to get all that paperwork. So NAMI is really good. And see, John had been through that with his brother. Mm. And so he knew all of those things. So when he started, he started thinking, I think he started thinking he was going to be like his brother. Mm. And that was another layer, mm. you know. And but he knew that there wasn't much out there. Right. Either. So that was another thing that was really frustrating. Right. And when we filled the prescription for the lithium, I remember saying to a friend of mine, I said, maybe I shouldn't, we shouldn't have, he shouldn't have taken that lithium that night. And, a, and then, and a fr my friend said, if he hadn't taken it, and then the same thing happened, you would have kicked yourself that he didn't take it. Yeah. It's like, it's, it goes, it's crazy making. Yeah, it is. And so eventually you just have to get to a point where you just say to yourself, I wish I could have gone in. So I just say, I wish I could have gone in, rewired his brain, but I don't have that power. No. No. And and at some point you just have to surrender to it. Yeah. And recognize that this is just what happened. Yeah. I like what your police officer said. He was a 61-year-old man who made a decision. Yeah, because at some point we're all we're all our own being and we 
and we make our decisions for whatever reasons. Yeah. And so, and we're just not that powerful. And we have to remember that, you know, we're just not that powerful. No. We can have influence, but you can't just, I think if anybody gives anybody, but then you hear stories of somebody who gives somebody credit. Oh, I was at the end of my rope. And if it wasn't for my wife or it wasn't for, I think they, that's probably very true and they believe that, but there was something in them. That's right. That made them say, I'm going to stay. You're right. And I think, I think they like to give the credit, but I think they're really, there was some, there was something that when it got down to that moment, Mm -hmm. they wanted to stay. Yes. I think you're right. At the end of the day, only one person is responsible for you. And that is you. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't matter in your marriage. If you're unhappy, Mm -hmm. it's your responsibility. What's wrong? Yes. We should probably wrap up soon anyway. Yeah, I could do this all day. I, I could do it all day, I too. I think we got have in you the enjoyed zone. it? Absolutely. I was Good. like, I got in the zone and I'm like, I have no idea even. See, that's what Same. I mean. That's I get in the zone. I talk about it. And that's why I've decided that's. So I'm doing the comedy stuff at Flappers as just a balance. And I thought and I started I started doing some open mics. And I was thinking if I could figure out a way to do grief and comedy. Yeah. And talk about grief and comedy. I don't know how I'd do it. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, you should figure that out because I could figure that out. You should start working on that for real because it is a very common thread, common theme. Mm -hmm. You know, I not even about suicide. I, I fell yesterday. I fell so profoundly and I landed on my knee and hurt. I mean, big old knot on my knee. And I started crying, which I'm not, I'm not a like, cry when you get hurt person yeah but it hurt really bad and I started crying and then I couldn't stop crying and then in the middle of it I was like why am I crying and it was because I miss my grandparents in the middle of all that I just kept saying I just wish I had them I just wish they were here I just wish they had them I wish someone would scoop me up I wish my pop would come get me you know my pop's been dead for 15 years and In that moment, when I asked myself, why are you still crying? That's what popped in my head. So then I know that's what it was. Yes. His grief is still there. 15 years he's been dead. It opens up old wounds. Exactly. That's what it does. It It, triggered pain, which triggered tears. And what is my closest pain emotionally? Must be that at the moment. Mm -hmm. I miss my grandparents constantly, all the time. And my grandmother, his mom, I mean, his wife, died five years ago maybe six um and yeah i just i just get grief stricken still six years 15 years ago grief is real and it doesn't i don't think it ever goes away it doesn't know time it doesn't understand time it doesn't know time and so it comes back it 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 finds itself so so there's a so there's a um, a latest thing that's happened where they have now a diagnosis for prolonged grief, they call it. And all the grief, I was just listening to a panel because now I'm in on all the grief educating stuff. And they're not happy about this because prolonged grief is say literally saying that you're grieving too long. What? Because the word prolonged grief is like saying, oh, you're grieving too long. So it's been a year or two. Oh, you should be out of it now or you should be so now they're starting to talk about like medications and stuff like that. And the thing with grief is, is that you have to kind of, 
feel it to get through it. Yes. And right. if you medicate to avoid it, it's not going to go away. Right. And it'll find its way back. And that means you're not going to move forward. That's prolonging the prolonged it's prolong grief. Exactly. And so, you know, the movie, I love that movie, Inside Out. I don't know yes, if you saw it. Yes, I love that movie. So halfway through that movie, I'm like annoyed because I'm like, oh, joy is driving me crazy. Like I'm like annoyed. <laughs> and, I, and, then all, I, and then all of a sudden when I realized, oh, oh, she's avoiding sadness. Yeah. When I realized, I was like, is that really what they're doing in this movie? I was like, oh my gosh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. And I, it was like the greatest movie. Powerful movie, that movie. Oh, when the elephant thing dies. Forget it. Yes. I cry still when that happens. It was the, I get chills thinking about it because it's the truth. It's great. If you want to yeah. get happy and you want to get back to where you're laughing again, because it took me a good year to really laugh again. Sure. Like if it, if it, if it, if it takes to get to laughing again, you got to feel all the pain. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense that you have to kind of swim in the sadness to get back to being happy. But that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And so if they're going to start doing this thing where they're going to start diagnosing and medicating, then they're, everyone's all worried about that. Uh, I think rightfully so. And I think every everybody's quick to medicate for everything. Yes. I mean, uh, I can't. Uh, Isla was having anxiety. And the first thing they said was medication. And I went, let's try something else first. What else can we try first? Right. And she said, well. We could get her a pet that's just hers, that's just in her room. We have three dogs and cats, and we have animals, but they're everybody's. Mm -hmm. I think it would help her if she had something that was just her own. It would shift her focus. At night, when she's having trouble sleeping, she could monitor the animal's behavior and kind of take cues from the animal. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let's do it. So we got her a cat that lives in her room, and her room is a big room. It's like a New York City studio apartment, mm -hmm. you know, so cats live there all the time. So I was like, well, let's have a cat that lives in her room anxiety so much better it's not gone but it is so manageable now and i'm like it's a freaking cat and we're not on medication bring it so kudos to her therapist who has said heck yeah let's try something else first right right yeah, why not if it doesn't work we can always turn to medication yeah, and 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 i i'm i'm definitely not a person who's anti oh, absolutely you know if if something's working yeah, absolutely totally but it, you just have to be careful because you don't want to like go, you don't want to numb it. Yeah. And that's where we are. Yeah. Where we're afraid if we feel it, there's something bad or they're doing something wrong. Almost everybody who's going through grief always thinks that they're doing something wrong because they're not getting over it fast enough. And they don't understand that there's like a bunch of it opens up old wounds, the stuff that you haven't dealt with before. Now you got to go back and you got to deal with it. It's like it rears its ugly head. It's a complete, it just shakes you up. Yeah. And so you have to go through and you just got to go through it. When you journal, it's all about journaling. Journaling is a big thing. And that's what I've been telling people is like, just journal, write the yeah. letter to the loved one. What yeah. did you want to say? Oh, it's the anniversary. Now you, you know, write this down. And I would write these things. I wrote a really angry journal. I sat and I wrote this horrible, angry thing to John. Oh my gosh. And I'd, I don't think I've ever really read it again. I remember just writing and writing. I was so mad at him. And then I got to the end of it and I was like, he couldn't help it. Like yeah. I got to the end of it, but it, it got it all out of out me. Out of you. Yeah. 
And you just have to, you just have to, you just have to do that. But it doesn't know time. It doesn't know time. It, it, It has no concept of time. That's a brilliant statement. I think that's good for people to hear is that grief doesn't know time, doesn't mm-hmm. understand time. As you were describing uh, going through stuff, I had the image in my brain of dumping out your junk drawer and sorting through it, yeah. right? That sounds like that's what happens is that an event that causes you that kind of grief just dumps out your junk drawer, yes. right? A death, a suicide, a, something like that. Now your whole junk drawer is out. And I guess you can look at it if you choose to as an opportunity to clean it out. Right. Yes. You know, you, now the, you have a reason. Yeah. Get that rid of no the excess. No one will question for you to be sobbing every day. Right. You know, for you to be really in a rut for a minute, for you to be an asshole. Then you can do that because mm-hmm. you sort of have permission. The gift in the gift in the bad. Right. I guess would be that. You can really clean out your junk drawer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody has shit from their childhood that they haven't dealt with. It loss or pain or a lost my favorite doll, as innocuous as that is for some people. For other people, it was devastating. Yes. And if you don't process that, it just sits in you. Right. And sits there. And you're right. You know, I was in my 20s. This guy said to me, you are you're always smiling, but you're actually the saddest person I know. And until you feel that sadness, the smile just won't mean a lot. You've got to go into that sadness. Yep. And then the smile will be genuine. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? (laughs) Excuse me? I am always happy. (laughs) That's literally what happened. And I was like, wow, I'm going to explore that. Yeah. I'm going to see if he's right. That's a that's a powerful statement. It was wow. pretty powerful. He was like, the, the smile is all fake. It's John not. used to say to me that that we get in an argument and he would say it, 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 I he would he would like to at you, you know, and he would say and every once in a while I get to that gilded that gilded box of horror. <laughs> that you have deep down in you. He said that you protect and you guard with your, and he goes, and when I tap into that boy, then you, you, that's when you unleash, you right. know, and it's, and what I'd unleash is, don't you understand what I have? I have so much pressure on me. I have these kids. I've got to do all this myself. And he he would call it my gilded box of horror. And I remember thinking, when he said that to me, I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a, I'm the happiest person you've ever, I'm the greatest, easygoing, most person. I don't know what you're talking about. And boy, he was so right. Right. And that's what I think my kids exposed. Uh-huh. And that's the thing about kids, man. You know, that's what's funny is that they live with you. Yeah. And if you think you're pulling the wool over their eyes about who you are, oh, they know you better than anybody. You are right. And when they expose it, it's like super painful because you're thinking, I thought I fooled them. Like I thought they, you know, I was, I'm the, you know, the most wonderful mother they've ever seen. Like I had no idea (laughs) that you know that I'm like this. You see all my warts. Yeah. (laughs) And when they, when they, when they call them out on you, then you go, oh my gosh. But then you realize, oh, they love, but they love you anyway. Warts and all. Yeah. And when you get to come around to that, and my oldest son, like he just, he, he literally, this was just last week. He asked me to do a therapy session with our therapist, the three of us. And it was the first time we had done it since the the group ones. 
And he just said he I think he did it as a gift to me because he said to me in this therapy set, I just wanted to tell you how proud I am of all the work you've done, how you showed me how much you love me because you were willing to listen to everything I needed to bring to you. I feel like I can talk to you about anything now. I love you so much. And he was just like and I just kind of like because we're on the screen because we were doing it on. And I was like, am I watching a show? Is this my <laughs> child? Like, this is my child. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is amazing. And my therapist was like, I think they wanted to do it like as a like a gift to me because I had sat through all these years of listening to all these things and having it be really painful. Yeah. And I had this like beautiful moment on in a therapy session to tell me that. He feels and he's and he said to me, which I thought was crazy. He says, Mom, if you don't hear something, there's nothing I'm not telling you. Wow. So I don't want you to think there's something I'm like hiding, hiding from you or what I'm unhappy with. Is. It was huge. That's enormous. There's yeah. nothing I'm not telling you. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. You it should was, be very proud of yourself was, and your amazing. four boys. Yeah. No. And I'm so proud of him. Because yeah. what he did was very brave. Very brave. And what you did was equally as brave. Because you went in and said, I want to hear what your negative thoughts and feelings are. Yeah. So we can move past it. So many people would not be interested in that. Well, and I told them, because she said, my therapist said to me, she says, what's your goal out of this? I said, I want them to get in the car with their kids and can't wait to come see me. Oh, that's what I want. I want them to go, oh, my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait till we get to mom's. It's going to be great. Just wait till we get to mom's. It'll be great. And I was like, that's what I want. I want them to look forward yeah. to me, to coming to me. And and so my son said that in the therapy session. He said, oh. he goes, I, when Grace and I come up to see you, we can't wait. That's amazing. When you come to visit, we can't wait. And I know he, he knew what he was saying to me. Yeah. Because he knew that that's what it was. It was yeah. like, because my... Because with my mother, I feel like sometimes with my, and my siblings, <laughs> but my siblings, I think they're, they're more, it's not that way, you yeah. know, where it's a little bit more of a, um, it's, it's, it's not that way. And that's what I want. I wanted them for me. I wanted that. Yeah. Right. You want yeah. them to like pile the grandkids in and go, yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. I can't wait to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be relief. Like it'll and and she'll take the kids and we can relax. Yeah. You know, and not be like stressful. Yeah. Because there's all this baggage. Yeah. That's not doesn't have clothes in it. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Emotional baggage yes. that we're bringing as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cuz you've unpacked the bags. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing And 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 have the tools for the future. Right. That's the most important thing is I keep saying to Jeff, I always go, you know, I, I know that we're not done. I yeah. just want to make sure it's like, but now we f both of us feel like we have the tools to be able to talk to each other. That's great. About things. And that was really important. So yeah, she was, she was amazing. Therapists are a beautiful thing. So when I told her I wanted to do this work, I was like the grief work. I was like, is this stepping on your toes? Like, how do you feel about somebody like me? And she goes, oh no, I think it's fantastic because she said it's, it's different. Completely different. Because some people just need, and that's what the grief support does is it's literally a person who listens to you right. and lets you, let you figure out 
the mystery that is you. Mm-hmm. How do I handle grief? Oh, isn't that interesting? This is how I do it. Yeah. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, isn't that interesting? I need a I need a time on the anniversary day. Mm-hmm. Or I really like to journal. Or I like to sit and listen to the music we like to listen to. Or mm-hmm. I need to do this. It's like, what is, what, how is it, how do you do grief? Mm-hmm. Let's unpack that and figure that out. So that now you know, and then you don't beat yourself up thinking you're doing it wrong. That's what I was saying. As you were talking, I was thinking you are the person that gives your client permission to make it whatever they need it to be. Right. You just go, yes. And because it is new, hopefully for most of us, grief, this place of grief is Mm -hmm. not somewhere you've been often or ever. I think it is hard to know what you're supposed to do. Um, and if something's okay and if something's quote healthy and if, if it's destructive and to just have that person say you're on the right path or Mm -hmm. it's all right, all right. And all right. Yes. Both. Um, what a great, what a great path that has come out of this Mm -hmm. experience, these experiences, losing your dad, your first husband and John. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And what a wonderful way to honor their lives is to be able to be of service. You know, yeah, I don't think I, I think our culture continually gets farther and farther away to being of service. You know, even if you're a cashier at Target, you can frame that as being of service to someone. Mm-hmm. And it, when you frame your life in from a place of being in service, you end up being happier and fulfilled just from the framing of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And being present, Mm -hmm. like really being present. So Mm -hmm. even like saying that with the cashier, it's like when you're checking out, do you make eye contact and talk to the person that, you know, yeah, I do. How how are you? Oh, it's so funny. Oh, is it? And have a little moment with this person you're never going to see again. Who is a person who's a human being. Yeah. Who is doing a necessary job for you. Mm -hmm. They are helping you get your grocery, your school supply, your yeah. Feminine needs, whatever it is you're buying at Target. Right. They're a necessary person. Mm-hmm. And to take the moment and realize they are providing you with a necessary service and mm-hmm. they get as much respect as your doctor, as your lawyer, as your gas station attendant. Same thing. I don't understand why people don't frame their whole life of I'm receiving a service or I am here to be of service. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because and it's, it's about be. being it's really about being like in this moment mm-hmm. and you're in with this person in this moment. Mm-hmm. And and of all the places in the world you could possibly be, you're right now in this moment with this person. Yeah. So it's what's that going to be? And we all love those movies where the guys all, you know, he's an angel. Like one of my my favorite Christmas movies is Bishop's Wife with Cary Grant. Uh-huh. I love old movies. And he goes around, knows everybody's name. Well, he's an angel, right? Well, why do we like that so much? Well, it's because he's nice to every single person and he calls them by name. Every single person he runs into, he calls them by name. He knows their name and he says hi to them. Well, you can do that. Totally. But it's funny how we'll like that in a character in a movie, mm-hmm. but then we'll go through our day and we won't we won't mirror that that behavior that we like so much. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Or like Groundhog Day, you know, where 
Of course, we understand at the end when he, the way he becomes. But how many times do we act the way he was before? Yes. And we don't realize that, that that's that's where we're, that's what you should be like. That was the whole point of the movie. Yes. Is he supposed to get to the point where he's present? Yes. It was the whole point of the movie. Yes. And he keeps <laughs> making the same mistake over and over, even though it looks a little different every day. It's the same mistake. Yeah. It's one of my top five favorite movies, Groundhog Day, because it's it's all about him. Kim trying to preconceive his expectations, his trying to manipulate, his trying to control. And it's literally the, the movie is trying to say, stop. It's trying You're, to say surrender. Y- yep, exactly. That's a, that's a theme today. That's the theme. <laughs> surrender is a big theme surrender. in my life all the time is I feel like it just alleviates so much stress. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a fight with your husband. That happens. Absolutely. You're supposed to argue with your husband. It would be abnormal if you never did. Right. When So surrender to that. Yes. It's about time for an argument. You know, we've yes. been up each other's ass for two months now. Well, I bet it's been a lot because there's a lot going on right now. Right? You mean for me? Yeah. Oh, we're not arguing right now. Oh. Uh, we're in great shape right oh, now. Oh, well, that's good. But, but he's busy, though, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's yeah. really busy. But yeah. when it happens, I go, well, yeah, we haven't had one in like six months. So, okay, it's an argument. Moving on. Right. You know, well, and also, too, it's like you always say about the curiosity, you're getting more information. And in the argument, you might get information. There might be kernels of information that you could use. Yes. In your spy mission, you know. Exactly. <laughs> to super figure spy. out. Yeah. So you're it's a, that you can go. Oh, that's interesting. Because saying something in an argument sometimes that was the gilded box of horror conversation. I love the gilded box. I <laughs> think that you should buy yourself a gilded box. And so when you look at it, you can go, yep. That's my gilded box That's of it. Horror. I got one. Be proud of it because we all have a gilded box of horror. I may buy myself one. I may steal it because I think that's fantastic because those nasty parts, some of those nasty, yucky parts are the, the parts that make you survive. Yeah. You know, yeah. they mm-hmm. make you tenacious mm-hmm. and gritty. Right. And, and um, unstoppable. And mm-hmm. uh, they they give you all those kind of superhero powers sometimes. Right. Because when are you more strong than when you're really angry? That's right. Hardly ever. Yeah. That's got to be some kind of primal thing. But yes. When are you stronger than than those nasty places? It's some real good power in there. Yes. A gilded box of horror. I fucking love it. <laughs> I know. I do, actually. I think I'm going to well, go see, find myself a gilded body. What box. happened was that all of a sudden I had a partner who was who was able to look me in the eye and tell me, you you have you have this. What is this? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Everybody tells me I'm doing a great job. Why don't you tell me I'm doing a great job? Why are you <laughs> telling me this? Everyone tells me I'm a single mom and I'm doing a great job. It's like, no, you're not. You're doing it. You're doing fine. Yeah. But you're not perfect. Yeah. And you're making mistakes. And if I and I finally had this person who could say to me, you know, and that's that's what's so important about that, that teamwork yeah. of the two people. And and this this we're going down this road where there are a lot of single and I think women tend to think they've got this figured out. I think and you're right. they can do it without any help. And it's like. It, it it you got to be careful because it, it's that balance of somebody looking at you and going, no, you got that. Actually, you're way off base there. You are so right. I, I single parent a lot. 
mm-hmm. but I do have a partner. Mm-hmm. So I have a legit in it to win it partner. He's just right. not physically here. Right. So what I've had to learn when the kids were a certain age, it was cool that I was just, you know, when they're like in that sweet spot from like five to 11, they're just super kind of easy. They're kind of yeah. point and shoot a little bit. Yeah. Cause you've set everything up in the beginning about boundaries and bedtime and rules and whatever. And then they, that's up and running. And then when, once they hit adolescence, Things get shaken up again. And once they hit, Bert was around a lot until Isla was four. Mm -hmm. He was, he wasn't touring like this. I was working full time to support him. So when I was at work, he was daddy on duty. So we were very much, very much Mm co-parenting until Georgia was six and Isla was four and he got the travel channel deal. And then he started taking off and I was pretty much full time. So we really set up our relationship that it was too parents and then Mm -hmm. that continued on until they got to adolescence and then i really did think i got this exactly what you're talking about and i got myself in trouble a couple times as a parent with bert and with my kids Mm -hmm. for thinking i got it right i don't need to know what you know you're not even here anyway right so what the fuck are you gonna tell me right i'm the one that's been here i'm doing this and then i would do it and then i and then he would go but what about A, B, C, D? And I'd go, and first I'd go, what about A, B, C, D? Here's my gilded box of horror. How about that? And then he'd go, yeah, well, I think if you think about A, B, C, D, and I'll go, damn it. Should have thought about A, B, C, D. Why did I think about that? I screwed this up. I am sorry. I am sorry to everybody. Now I got to unravel what I thought was doing was great, which was actually not entirely great. Right. That happened I can think of three times specifically where I did that, mm-hmm. where I parented by myself and it was wrong mm-hmm. and I should have parented with him. He was too busy. He was not here. I needed to do it immediately. There was so much going on for him. It was so upsetting. I didn't want to bring it to him and add stress to his life. I was trying to protect him. Right. Fill in the blank for my reason. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all good reasons. Nothing wrong with any of my reasons. None of it was like, screw you, you suck. Right. It was all And your like, intentions are good. Of course your intentions 100%. are good. I'm trying to keep everybody moving forward. I'm trying to protect her from his anger. I'm trying to, you know. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, when you step back a minute, you go, oh. So I've, on the third occasion, when I was starting to do that, I stopped myself and went, nope, I'm going to call Bert. I'm going to tell him what's going on. And I'm going to do this together. And I'll be damned. He had the right way. He had the right way. I did not have the right way. I had a plan. And I was going to say, I said to him, this is what we should do. And he went, I don't agree with you. This is what we should do. And when he said it, I went, oh, fuck, he's right. He's totally right. That is what we should do. So I'm hoping I've learned my lesson. See, but that's great, though. That was great that you were able to... It was, it took it. The, two that's times I screwed again. up big time. Yes, yeah, you're right. Surrendering again. But yeah, that's really, that That was it. And the thing was, is I wanted somebody. You didn't have it. But I just didn't have it. Didn't have it. I just didn't have it. And Steve just wasn't, he just, he just checked out. Mm-hmm. I would try and I'd call him with school stuff or I'd try and call him back. But he would always just agree with me. He always would agree with me. He would go, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. That sounds good. That's Why do you fine. think that was? I think he just we we are we we all still wonder like he just he just checked he just checked out where he just wasn't gonna 
it was easier. You know, it was just easier, I think. I, I don't know. Well, but parenting was, is hard. It was it was frustrating. So then I think, okay, well, then I guess I'm then I have the right answer then. Well, I guess I have the right answer. I remember one time going into school and there was a teacher that was treating my son Matt badly and not a fact. And um we I went and I just and he wouldn't come in with me. Steve wouldn't come in with me. And I just wanted I wanted good cop, bad, good cop, bad cop. I just wanted somebody to go, this is, I wanted a husband that just went, this is bullshit. You know, what the hell is this? This teacher. And I go, now calm down, honey. Yeah. Now tell me, what is it that can we can do so that that like messes with these people? Yeah. And I had to go in there and kind of be both. And I remember just thinking to myself, so I tried very hard at our church because we have a lot of really nice men there and there's some really great guys to have them involved in my kids' lives mm -hmm. so that they had a lot of at least some male influences and people that they could look up to so that, and it wasn't like they didn't love their dad. They loved their dad. Of course. I mean, and there were things about, and that was another thing they told me. They said, you said too many nice things about him. I was like, oh. <laughs> like I, can't, <laughs> I can't win. I can't win. I was, like, I was like, well, okay. But there were nice things. But I also knew he was ill. Once we got the diagnosis and he was ill, I wanted him to know about what the type of person he was before. Yeah. And how he was alive and funny and handling all these big jobs. And he worked on these huge jobs and yeah. these huge events and he was like, a, there was a reason why I married him. You know, yeah. it wasn't, he was different. And yeah. so I always want to tell him those things. But so now they understand that they're fine with that. But, but yeah, so I was always trying to have like, and also even if there's, even if there is an active father, I still think other male influences or other female influences are important. Of course. Yes. Because they need the village, you know, they need all sorts of different yes. because they may not want to follow in the footsteps or maybe at some point in their lives, they don't identify quite with you mm -hmm. and they might have an aunt or they have a friend of yours or they have somebody else that they can go, oh, I want to talk to that person of because course, I think yes. that person might understand. And I think that's a little bit of surrendering as well as parents is that you don't have all the answers and that maybe another person in your world, in the kid's world, may actually be a big influence on them. A big positive influence. A positive influence yep. that you didn't see. Yes. And they can see them because we're, we're so worried about the day-to-day the -day stuff. And they may see their big dreams and their big their big stuff and they might be able to point that out and, and encourage them and have us see it. Yes. You know, I think that's very important. Yeah. I grew up in a small town. I was related to everybody in the town. And I think that happened. I look at my life now and I go, Oh, yep. That came from this person. This came from this person. This came from my dad. This mm -hmm. came from my grandparents. I took it from everywhere. Right. Those people are really important. And yes. In a city like this, I think people don't tend to do that as much. Mm -hmm. But our little elementary school oh, yeah. was an amazing place with a lot of opportunity to have mentors that mm -hmm. were not your family members. Yeah. Um, we are lucky in that we lived in this neighborhood. Absolutely. Um, this neighborhood is exceptional. It was exceptional it still is mm -hmm. um and i'm grateful all the time for the neighborhood and what it gave to my kids and to me yes and to bert uh such an amazing place to live yeah um, and i think that's important to find to find it yes it's real it's really really important you can't you gotta when you're raising your children you can't do it alone no you need and you need 
you need people around you to keep everything, you know, equal it out, you yes. know, and make sure and, and, and be okay with that. Be okay with them admiring somebody else mm-hmm. for a little while. That's okay. It's, you know, it absolutely. Is okay. It's where it used to be in ancient worlds, you know, mm-hmm. where they had a whole, they would have a whole village of people mm-hmm. and those people would all be part of the child's raising, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's, it, and it needs to be organic and it, it needs to be something that's created by people who are willing to be part of it. I think that's why there are churches and there are different organizations, those kind of things. And I think that's why that was created here in this area too, because they were all people who knew the value of it mm-hmm. and knew that that's what they needed to cultivate, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, no, it's, it's really, really important. It's vital. Yeah. It's vital. It's one of the reasons that I have a Girl Scout troop. We've had Kathy Fromkin and I mm-hmm. and Kirsten Love have been running this Girl Scout troop. Kathy and I have been with it since... Oh, my God. I think it's 11 years now. And we always talk about this little community that we've built. Because it's not just the three of us leaders. It's all the other parents in this troop, too, mm-hmm. that have been together with all these kids and done all these events. So we always hope that of the 13 girls we still have, they have 13 parents that they can go to. Right. And I think. That would work for most of them. I don't think there are very many of them that wouldn't go to some other parent in this group. Mm -hmm. And we don't hang out socially. Like, it's not like it's all, we're all best friends and whatever. We just all kind of, all our kids have this common interest and all the parents are like, yes, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And that creates such a safe little community. Yeah. I'm really proud of this Girl Scout troop. I can't believe they've been together this long. Um, they just went to see Cocaine Bear together on their own. Oh, uh, that's great. It was not, a, obviously, not a Girl Scout sanctioned <laughs> event to go see Cocaine Bear. But they, of their own accord, just texted their Girl Scout troop and said, hey, who wants to go? And they all went together. No one outside the troop. Just them. Yeah, we have at our church, we had our youth group that John actually ran for a few years. And then we, it, it was just a really magical group of kids. And so this, we have a new pastor there now. And so I'm actually president of the congregation. So I'm like kind of in charge of stuff now, which is crazy. But um, we did a reunion. So I told him, I said, well, you're new and you don't know these kids. And these kids were all gone. They were all at college or are out. And I was like, why don't we do a 10 year, get a 10 year group of this 10 year block of kids and let's do a reunion at Christmas time. And so we did it and they all went out afterwards. My kids came, everybody came because a lot of kids drop out of church. They, they're like yeah. done with church. Yeah. We have a very all are welcome kind of philosophy at our church. We do the interfaith food pantry. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of good things, but kids drop out, they go off and they, they don't do church, you yeah. know? And so we were just like wanted to let them know. And I wasn't sure who was going to show up. We had like 18 kids showed up. Oh, my God. And then they all went out after. Amazing. And they had a great time. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew <laughs> they would come, you know, but we didn't know until yeah. they did. But it's true. It's like you it's all of that. You don't take. And I try to do that at church. I like teach Sunday school. I teach the fourth and fifth graders now. And I love the questions that we get in these big, deep conversations because the Jesus love you stuff isn't enough. Yeah, no, it's not. After a while, they're like, why did this happen? Yeah. Well, and why did that happen? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't really have an answer completely, but let me tell you what I think. Yeah. And it's great. 
you know, but I'm hoping that, you know, that I'm that one of those people that maybe these kids are like going home and going, oh, I got a really interesting take on something. What yeah. do you think? You know, like they were saying the first commandment, they're like, love God and no other God but me. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe in that. Everybody, there's other people that have other religions that believe in different gods. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I was like, I don't think that's, I think what they're talking about is not worshiping something else. Like, you know, money. Yeah. Or yourself. Yeah. Or maybe Harry Styles. And I, because it was all boys. So they yeah. all went, oh, I hate Harry. It was great. <laughs> but I was like, you know, it's like you want to make sure that you're, if you're, everyone worships something, make sure you worship something that's good. Yeah. And that's what the idea is. And they were like, oh. And I was like, yeah. So it was like, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. It's like, you got to be careful. But I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. This is the only way. Yeah. Because I don't necessarily, that's just my, my belief. Yeah. <laughs> that I think if somebody has another faith, but that's their surrendering to another higher power, that's their thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same concept. That's what I think. Totally many, the same concept. Many paths, one truth. Right? That's right. Being of service, yeah. teaching Sunday school. Yeah, I exactly. taught Sunday school too. I yeah. taught it for like a year, but they were little kids. Yeah, we just fun. colored pretty much. Right, <laughs> we colored pictures of Nova's art, and I was like, "Oh, oh no, you good. get fourth and fifth graders. Oh, they forget hit you. it. They hit me with these crazy questions. I bet. It's so funny, and it's great. But I'm like, good morning. Like I literally, <laughs> they'll hit me with a question like, if Christianity, if the symbol of Christianity is the cross. What and that's where Jesus died. Why? Why is that? Why would you have the symbol be where he died? And I'm like, good morning. Let's all sit <laughs> because he died for your sins. <laughs> yeah. And next question. Know, but it was like, but it's still like, could everyone sit down yeah, first? Right? <laughs> Can we have our snack and then we'll talk? Jeez, <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, and then I hit him with, well, and ours doesn't have him on it, which means he's gone. Because he's not there anymore, oh. you know. And I said, although I do like the ones that have him on it, because you got to remember what he sacrificed and what he, you know, what you know the, the what he went through. Because yeah. there are things you have to sacrifice. Yes. In this world, yeah. for the better good. Yeah. For and for your idea. better good, right? I mean, you can even say that about dieting, right? You got to sacrifice carbs if you want the body you want, right, or yeah. whatever. But sacrifice is a huge part of life. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And so, uh, but anyway, it was just, it's just so funny. They just hit me with, these. now they know <laughs> that I like to answer. Like I have to have these, so now they just come in and they hit me with these things. I'm like, wow. Okay. Deep One thoughts day. with Sally. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to end. I could talk okay. to you forever. I know this was super so I gotta fun. I got to go pick up Isla from the bus. Oh yeah. Um, no, no, no. Absolutely. But, uh, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for no, sharing I, all this. No, I love that to be part of this. I'm so, I, I love the podcast and I love to be part of it. And I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, Cause I do think Marion was funny. She's like, I think you guys have a lot in common. And I was like, I think we do. Yeah. I, I love Marion. She is just a lovely oh, human being. Yeah. Today, to shout out to her, today is her 25th anniversary no. in the U.S. Oh since my she God. moved from Germany. Yeah. Amazing. She's yeah. just so awesome. No, she's beautiful. She Best has the smile ever. Beautiful smile. Yes. I was just going to say, yes. she has the most beautiful smile. Yes. It's like it's... all rights with the world when she smiles at you. It, she <laughs> is full of joy, whether yes. she really is or not. And so supportive. Yes. And positive. She's been a really happy. wonderful. Yeah. That whole group. We have a group called, they're called the No Excuses. That is, it's called No Excuse. Well, now what do we call ourselves now? We for, we're a book club. Then we were like an excuse to get together. 
book club because then we stopped reading books <laughs> and then we started calling ourselves the excuses. And I feel bad because I've been a bad member because we're on it. We went into the group text during the co during COVID and then I'm just bad at group text. Yeah. And then I get out of the loop. Yeah. And then I moved over to Burbank. And so then I haven't. So I need to see them again. But yeah. I see individual ones and yeah. I reach out to individual ones, but I need to get back in with the group. But they were my but see, they were the my youngest. Yeah. So the mommy group with the youngest kind of doesn't get the same attention as the mommy group with the from the oldest. Right. I had a lot of mommy groups. Yeah. That's so, <laughs> I mean, so awesome. many kids. So but anyway, it's so funny that our neighborhood will end on this. Our neighborhood created all these groups and they named themselves. <laughs> we named ourselves the campers. Oh, I know okay. another group that was named the Niners because there were nine families. And now you have the no excuses yeah, or we're excuses. Ex no excuses. So funny. We should all get together and play softball or something. <laughs> all our teams versus each other. That's so crazy. Yeah, that would be a great idea. Or bowling. Bowling. Right. Something. Yeah, Bowling's anything. Easy. Let's do bowling. The campers versus the Niners versus the excuses. <laughs> right. So funny. Well, thank That'd you so great. much, Sally. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you so much. I'll see you around town. Yes, I yeah. hope so. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> thank you. I think that we should get together and